can't get enough eye-popping, jaw-dropping, heart-stopping reality TV. It's the best. Then head to Hey You, home of reality on demand. Stream and download the latest episodes from shows like Keeping Up with the Kardashians and The Real Housewives, same day as the US. What's more fun than that? Or binge old faves like The Simple Life and The Hills. That's hot. Hey You, reality on demand. Start your one-month free trial now. Hello everyone and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen and with me are... Devendra Hardware And Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show. Find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Uh, we have a special episode for you folks today. All we're going to do today is talk about Mission Impossible uh, and every single Mission Impossible film. Uh, it's a very possible mission. It's a very possible us. mission to talk yeah. about this. Yeah, and it's we're really psyched. Should uh, you choose to accept to listen to it? <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Uh, and the the occasion for this is, I mean, there's two occasions. One is uh, that Mission Impossible Fallout is coming out in theaters uh, later this month in July, and it is my most anticipated film of the year my second most it's like one of my top most anticipated films i'm really have you seen those trailers dave i have not i've been told the trailers are amazing uh yeah it's basically money shot after money shot um but yeah those trailers are among the best things i've ever seen you know i've seen this year so so i am it is also my most anticipated i'm so psyched about getting home from watching the movie and watching those trailers it's gonna be really exciting um, and so that's one reason why we're doing this. But another reason we're doing this is because uh, these, the studio slash publicity company promoting studio stuff uh, was able to provide us each with a copy of the 4K UHD discs of the entire Quintilogy. Uh, so we have uh, discs one through or movies one through five on 4K UHD. And we had a chance to watch all these films this past. I think these are a new a, a new uh, issuing of those, yeah. right? It's like a cool. Uh, the packaging is all consistent through all five movies. Tom it looks Cruise's like it looks face is facing the same direction in all the. Movies. Yes, which, <laughs> which is, is key. You don't yeah. want a wrong facing Tom in your in your library at any point. No, you don't. That that would be ter- what you're saying sounds well, terrible. That's yeah. how you know which one is Doug Ray Scott. That's. What <laughs> So uh, we got these discs and we're like, okay, well, uh, we want to do a review of these discs because these are fun movies to talk about uh, in general. And so we have a lot to say about them. So let's let's, let's dive into it. Before we get to that, uh, we want to just thank all the people who donated to the show. Usually we put this in the middle, but since we're going to be, you know, just doing all five films in succession, let's thank all the donors up top. Uh, People who subscribed at the rate of $2 per month, we want to thank Chris Rager, Colleen O'Hara, and Jason Hodges. Thanks so much for donating at the rate of $2 per month. And we got this very lovely email from Miriam from Fraunfeld, Switzerland, who writes in, uh, Dear Slash Filmcast team, I'm donating to you on behalf of my boyfriend, Mike, who is going to celebrate his 35th birthday on July 7th. Happy birthday, Mike! Happy birthday, Mike! We spent the last eight years together. And you guys have been part of our lives from the beginning. Mike has been a fan of the work of Jeff Kanata since the Totally Rad Show. And so he brought me to listening to the Slash Filmcast. We do not miss a single episode of your show. 
and you are contributing a lot to our daily life. It is not only your enlightening, profound movie discussions that we appreciate, but also the fact that there are some nice, smart, respectful people like you who love talking about movies and cultural phenomena just like we do. This is, in fact, priceless, and I sincerely thank you for this. And I also thank my boyfriend, Mike, for all the love and movie knowledge he has given me. By the way, Mike will surpass us all in the summer movie wager. He currently stands at 50 points, username uh, 1LAUCH. Anyway, Dave, Jeff, Devinder, Christie, please keep doing what you do. It is just great. That comes from Miriam from Fraunfeld, Switzerland. Miriam, thanks so much for that lovely message. Uh, and we're so glad to be a part of you and Mike's lives over the course of the last eight years uh, yeah. and appreciate the donation. If you want to support what we do here on the Slash Filmcast, uh, if we make a material difference in your life, uh, you can always go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash and then the word filmcast. You can also go to slashfilm.com, click on the Slash Filmcast tab, use the PayPal links on the side of the page. All the money you donate does go to help us defray the cost of putting on the show, and uh, we really appreciate it. You guys are awesome. Before we dive into each Mission Impossible film individually, why don't we talk about the franchise as a whole? Uh, and overall thoughts on like revisiting this franchise, how we felt when we did it. Jeff Kanata, you have some thoughts? I do. I mean, it's so rare to be able to um, watch all of a long series like this back to back in short succession. I, I almost never do that. Uh, and it was such an interesting experience to watch a film franchise that ex- has existed over, what, 20 plus years now? Yeah. Uh, and watching all those movies back to back to back like like I did, um, many of these movies I had only seen – not many. A few of these movies I had only seen once uh, when I saw them in theaters and, and I hadn't revisited until now. It was a really cool experience watching the entire five film. Well, I actually didn't rewatch the fifth one because it was so fresh in my mind from having reviewed it. But um, four of the movies back to back. Uh, you see <laughs> Tom Cruise age uh, drastically and you see the stylistic differences and you see, I think, a franchise that does a very rare thing, which is uh, finds itself a few movies in and really finds its voice a few mo- movies in. Um, and I, I thought that was so fascinating to watch. Also, I'm prepared to say, I don't know if you guys agree, and it was very, very apparent to me that the third movie is the best by far. Not even close. Not I, even. I don't know about by far. It yeah. is very good. No, uh, I think the third one not. is the best. No, no. Yeah. Well, some, some people actually think it's the worst of the franchise. Oh my! Well, that is um, that is crazy insanity. talk. But, but okay. But uh, let, let's give our rankings. You know, at some point. Yeah. But I, I think um, my experience of watching here's here's my experience of watching this franchise again. Okay, I watched these movies with my wife, and uh, I was talking with her. You know, uh, would randomly point out things during the movie and I would say things like oh hey like that shot is so cool because it's all CG and this element was practical this element was CG and I yeah, realized how it was your wife by the end of this though Dave like, I realized my wife was like so many Mission Impossibles God. Yeah. I realized yeah. I had seen these movies so many times yeah Dave and, yeah. and the commentary the movie director commentaries <laughs> for every single film in the I do remember in college we would geek out about uh, MI2 quite a yeah. bit. I think we – didn't we see MI3 in the uh, yeah, together? Yeah, I, we we I think we saw Mission yeah. Impossible 3 together, if I'm, yeah, I'm not yeah. mistaken. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I have seen these movies so many times and I know intimately how <laughs> they, are, they were made. 
Yeah. And I uh, also could quote virtually every single movie at length. Like I haven't memorized the entire script That's of every single film. a marketable skill right there. Yeah. I, I, I haven't memorized the entire script, but it's like so many – like I would say – you know, not exactly, dozens. not exactly Shakespeare there, Dave. <laughs> how dare you? A, how dare you, Jeff? Um, but B, what you was know, the Anthony Hopkins line? Uh, this isn't mission. Impo- this is mission something. This is mission impossible. Uh, we'll get to that. We'll no, get to that. No, uh, Dave is sitting there with his wife. He's like, okay, okay. This is the part where he says, "Get down." <laughs> You are really underselling how good some of the scripts are in these, these films, Jeff. Um, I, so anyway, I love these films and I agree with you uh, seeing Tom Cruise and the franchise evolve has been fascinating but also seeing the technology evolve seeing filmmaking styles evolve uh, has been awesome uh, one of the most interesting things about this series is Tom Cruise uh, produced the first one and I think he's produced all of them he used to be with Paul uh, Paula Wagner when he produced uh, they, they used to do production together but the first one was the first movie that Tom Cruise produced ever right yeah, and uh, he kind of made it a decision that like this is the franchise that is going to like come to define me in many ways. Uh, but it's also a franchise where he's going to allow directors to come in and put their own stamp on it. You know, to yeah. to kind of be auteurs and and make it their own. And he and, made some really smart choices too. Yeah, like, yeah. Out of left field choices, I think worked out pretty well. Yeah, that's just really interesting. He he gives also direct like with uh, Christopher McQuarrie and J.J. Mm-hmm. Abrams. Like these are not necessarily you know huge action directors. I don't think J.J. Abrams had made Star Trek at the time. He, he no was, man, his first film. Yeah, it was it, after yeah. First it was after movie. TV. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah. by the way, by the way, Jeff, it is funny to hear you talk so well of MI three after your J.J. Abrams slander in our Jedi review. I will not make you forget that, sir. Uh, but yeah, what is interesting is clearly Tom Cruise was at home watching Alias every week, like me, and like all of us. Like, I got to get this guy. This guy used to have my like franchise. Let, let's just let Bad Robot run everything, and then yeah, it really found itself. I think yeah, right. he straight up says that in the special features. Yeah, he says he was he was watching Alias at two o'clock in the morning one night. And was like, this This is the guy. This guy's and, genius. Yeah, because I guess Tom Cruise doesn't sleep and is always working. <laughs> He's a robot. Yeah, and Br- yeah. You know, Brad, Brad Bird, episode, uh, you know, the fourth entry into the franchise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he had never directed a live action film before yeah. uh, that you know so he, he's kind of giving people chances but allowing them to shape the franchise it's just a really fascinating cultural artifact these films are right i want to mention a couple of other things that stood out to me because i watched these all back to back uh first of all the imf is a terrible organization yes. Yes. <laughs> it is fraught with traitors uh it is unbelievable that anyone over and over and over, someone double crosses someone. It, it's amazing that anything can get done in this organization. Well, <laughs> I think it's all, it's the entire government structure in this universe, like uh, a, a ghost protocol, ends with the spies have all of our drones and the credits. <laughs> right. you know? I mean, we never even. Yeah, it's totally true. Uh, we never even get like uh, you know a movie where the IMF is working on all cylinders. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. literally every movie is. Well, this time the IMF has blown all to smithereens, and we're, it's like every time the IMF is, is screwed from the inside out. One of my um, favorite articles about uh, Mission Impossible is by Eric Lundergaard. It, com- it kind of changed the way I look at these movies. It's entitled Mission Impractical, 
And he says here, uh, he watched the first two Mission Impossible films. This, this article came out many years ago, and he says, uh, the ending to Mission Impossible 1 doesn't say something cynical about the spy game. The entire series says something cynical about the, sky, the spy game because the main message of Mission Impossible movies is this. We need IMF agents to protect us. From IMF agents, you know, <laughs> exactly. like, you uh, the, yeah. the first the the villains from the first three films, and we should say we're going to spoil all the Mission Impossible films, uh, not including uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, the new one. Uh, but the f- villains from the first three films are IMF agents, right, or yeah, IMF right. operatives, or something like that. And, you know? and the first film like completely breaks the show. Too, because like <laughs> yeah. when the IMF was a well-running organization, Jim Phelps was our guy, and uh, the first movie just kind of retconned him as uh well not retconned, but it turned him into a guy who was tired of it all and a traitor. Right, which is it, kind it, of amazing. In this article too, it says like uh, Jim Phelps dies in Mission Impossible One, and he says Eric Lindergaard says that's like killing off Mister Brady ten minutes into the Brady Bunch movie, you know, <laughs> and making him like a serial killer too. Like right. he, yeah, yeah. he is the yeah. villain, and then yeah, he dies. Yeah. It's crazy. The other thing that I noted, uh, maybe you guys were already aware of this, but I was not, uh, how there is a nod to the first film's uh, iconic horizontal two inches above the ground suspended in the air thing in all of them. Yeah. Yes, Jeff. They all have that moment. I didn't I was not aware of that until noticing it. I'm pretty sure that's how um, Tom Cruise gets up in the morning. Like just to remind (laughs) him. Yeah. I mean, Jeff, if you've watched the movies 10 times each like me, you would have recognized this a long time ago. So, well, I'm, you know, I'm not the uh, impossible super fan that you are, Dave, but I'm, I'm becoming, I I enjoyed all these movies. I've, I've been, uh, I'm a Tom Cruise fan. I'm, I'm a big fan of this series. Um, but again, I hadn't. I don't have the compulsion that perhaps you do. Um, don't don't know what you're talking. I think it's completely healthy. My association with this. Also, also, and this isn't a fault of the movies. This is a fault of a, the property earlier than this. How does anyone get anything done if every time you have a mission, people can choose to accept it or not? <laughs> I think it's a it's kind of like a rhetorical uh, thing. Pretty like your mission should like, you choose to accept it, but you're gonna accept it. You know? Yeah. What well, I'm I guess, but it, why you even say it then? <laughs> like you know. the way, the reason we have a military is so people don't get a choice whether to accept a mission. Like, is the plan like uh, you know what? I'm not gonna do this one. They just keep going out to more IMF agents until somebody takes it. You know, it's like <laughs> oh, nobody's accepted it yet. Um, it's kind of like uh, Jeff. It's kind of like at weddings. Like if if you know if you have any problem with this union, like speak now, forever hold your peace. <laughs> Right. It's like, like you, you don't rushing. expect it's, anyone to actually say something, but you, it's like yeah. a tradition. You know what I mean? It's I feel a, like it's for a, Uber drivers, like it just keeps going to the next agent, basically. <laughs> like, I do yeah. want to say a word about these discs before <laughs> we get going uh, with the actual films themselves. Uh, first of all, uh, the discs look awesome uh, in 4K. I, I think they, oh, they all look spectacular. They sound yeah. amazing. Uh, a quick word about special HDR features. HDR also. Yeah, HDR is amazing. The uh, a quick word about special features, uh, which is that uh, the special feature situation is pretty rough. Like, I, I don't think there are any right. new 4K special features, as far as I know. And, the, and they, the special features get better as the series goes on because mm-hmm. it seemed like they cared more. But the first movie special features are I, I actually made me angry. <laughs> but, Straight up made me angry. Because there is a sequence that uh, I straight up – I wanted to find out how they did the train sequence. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a special feature called the train sequence. <laughs> and I put it on and it was like the train sequence was so crazy. Uh, we just we wanted to do something you've never seen before. Yeah, Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We want to yeah. do something you've never seen before. Yeah, uh, Brian De Palma. I just want to do something you've never seen before. <laughs> and then they cut to a shot of – 
people, uh, you know, behind the scenes on set at ILM and a guy with a bullhorn. He's like, all right, here we go. And three, two, one action. Cut to black credits. <laughs> That's every 90s special feature, by it's the like, way, what? except for the Matrix. Yeah. yeah. So, so no mo- new information here. <laughs> Most of the 4K discs have a commentary on them that's borrowed from the Blu-ray copy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the Blu-rays have all the special features on them. Now, there is one benefit of this set, which is a couple of the films have retail. They, when they first came out on Blu-ray, they had retail-specific special features. So uh-huh. if you bought it at Target you'd get a different set of special features than if you bought it at Walmart or Best Buy. And that sucks. Like, that's just terrible. However, um, many of the, uh, the, the like in uh, Ghost Protocol or Rogue Nation, I think there were some retailer-specific special features. In the uh, 4K Ultra HD set, uh, you get all the special features. So you get all the Target, all the regular, you know, like all the special features, but they are on the Blu-ray. So I just want to point that out that, like, <laughs> Uh, they are on Blu-ray. They're not like 4K special features, but you just do get to all of them. Just a whole new format for that. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so that, that, that is cool. It gives uh, users or consumers a reason to kind of re-up on the 4K is you don't need to deal with those stupid retail-specific special features. Right. Um, but overall, I mean, I, the set looks amazing, not just like the movies themselves, but also just like the outside of the set looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, it looks good on the shelf. You know what I mean? I think my, <laughs> I mean, my, we, were talking, we were talking about how much pressure this puts on them to put out a, the sixth movie in this exact same form factor yes. and uh, design so that you don't have like five awesome you know, beautifully designed matching set. And then this (laughs) six movie, like, I'm sitting here like a a sore thumb. Was that like Seinfeld theme song just now? What was that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Agreed. I really hope Mission Impossible Fallout like matches this when it comes out on. That's the most important thing. Yeah, it really is. We'll see if it, we'll see if it does. Um, And a lot of people have been asking, by the way, like, should they upgrade to the set? um, Fans of the franchise. And I, I do think it's worth it, especially for the earlier movies. Like some of those early yeah. Blu-rays are pretty rough, um, and I think the remasters looks good. Um, the HDR mix is really interesting too, and I'll talk about that specifically in some of the movies. But it really brightens up uh, Mission Possible One and Two, and I'm honestly worried about how older movies are getting the HDR treatment, and it seems pretty well done here. So yep, definitely worth a buy. Uh, maybe not all at once. Maybe just like, you know, buy it piecemeal. Um, yeah, you do have the option of buying them one by one set. as well. Yeah. I'm surprised there's no like real box or anything, you know. Yeah. That would have been fun. Uh, yeah. Uh, I am also wondering about the status of the box and whether there's ever going to be a box or whether right. there's going to be a fallout, you know, matching the, the box set. Here's one thing that's kind of irritating if you're a, an anal retentive pedant such as myself is uh, the... Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol and Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, they are called MI4 and MI5 on yep. the boxes. I love it. Yep. Love that. Uh, that's never what their names were. Like, As they so should be, though. that they did that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they, it's just so, too confusing. It's like live, die, repeat all over again, guys. They changed the title <laughs> after the movie came out. Okay. It, it's no, just but, so but, you, all, you always know the order when yes. you put it on your shelf. That's you all. don't go – did the protocol come before the falling <laughs> yeah. out or the what, – what's well, the – again, again, Jeff, if you've seen the movie a bunch of times, there's no question about the order. So, you know. <laughs> um, Okay. It's so much be- more beautiful when you have one, two, three, four, five. That They're is true. Like, I'll give you that. Ah, I'll give you that. Yeah. But if you're a purist, I mean, it's like this is like the St- the Star Wars special editions of Mission Impossible boxes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> 
So, yeah. okay. All right. Guys, let's dive into our thoughts on Mission Impossible 1. Good morning, Mr. Phelps. This is your mission should you choose to accept it. Should you or any member of your IM force be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow all knowledge of your actions. Ethan Hunt will be your point man as usual. Good luck, Jim. Simple game. Is he serious? Always. It's much worse than you think. We're being ambushed. Abort, that's an order. They knew, they knew we were coming. Do you read me? I don't care how he did it. I want to know why he did it. You're worried about me. Why you survived? I'm sure we can find something I have that you need. These guys are trained to be ghosts. Let's not waste time chasing after him. Just make him come to us. Find something that's personally important to him and you squeeze. This movie came out 22 years ago. As I mentioned, Tom Cruise's first produced movie uh, was directed by Brian De Palma. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. An American agent under false suspicion of disloyalty must discover and expose the real spy without the help of his organization. So I was very curious to see how this movie had aged. The Uh technology has not aged very well. But everything else about this movie is awesome, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I I still think this movie really works. And uh, what's interesting about it is it is not really an action film. It's barely a spy film. It's much more of like a psychological thriller, in my opinion. It's Um, a noir. It's a straight-up noir thriller. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and it's slow-paced. Yep. It it feels old to me. It feels Guys, very like old Robert school. Town co-wrote this movie. Don't forget, like yeah, you know, and it shows. Like this has that nice slow Chinatown vibe or something for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's funny to compare this to where we are now, which yeah. is like <laughs> you know balls to the wall action right. set piece. <laughs> this this movie has an action set piece or two, but most. I mean, the fo- first half is like this very slow paced, starkly lit noir. Uh, romancy kind of strange. Uh, it you know it feels like it was shot on a set kind of on purpose. You yeah, know uh-huh, there yeah. everything's in tight close-ups, D- like an Dutch old... angles, like low yeah. angles. You know it's all it's all really uh, very stylized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a very different film than what the franchise ended up becoming. Yeah, uh, and all of the movies are different from each other, but I think this one feels the most different to me. Agreed completely. Uh, <laughs> and. I think it still really works. I think the score by Danny Elfman is awesome. Uh, and I think it has a really good mix of these thriller elements. And also, it does have some balls-to-the-wall action. That final set piece yeah. with the train, the uh, the TGV, that tr- bullet train is like, still holds up it's in incredible. my opinion. Right? I mean, yeah. it's all good. I mean, for the most part, the CG, uh, you know, it's it's a little bit rough. But it's it, I'm still convinced that they actually... Did something on a train, you know, like if, I, I know if they, that yeah, was yeah, shot yeah. now, it, it, Tom Cruise would literally have been on top of a bullet train. <laughs> they would have actually done it. Um, yeah, like Tom, no, not this it's, one. It's also uh, a movie that was was made in 1996, and it is so 96, man. Yeah. It is. It's so fun looking back and seeing the internet search engine scene, uh, and like, there's a moment that I wrote this line down. 
uh, Ving Rhames talks about like <laughs> the, the, the most computers, right? The high end, most high end uh, computer that he that you can think of, the the one that isn't on the market yet, but he can get his hands on because he's so badass. Yeah, and he goes, it's. It's a 686 prototype with AI risk processor. <laughs> Dude, the 686, you guys. The 686. Amazing. Meanwhile, like the, like, Pentium- like the iPhone like 2 had that, you know. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> this uh, movie does feel like it's the first time Brian De Palma ever saw a computer. Dude, just like the way that whole uh, search research scene is shot and everything. Like it is, I, is kind of amazing. I will give the it's film. Hilarious. I should say there was no iPhone 2. It was just the iPhone 3G. But uh, I, will, I will give the film credit for this, Devendra. Uh, <laughs> the tech in this uh, entry is like, like I don't even know if it was like well done back then. But that, I that do, is, it's not a good look at like BBSs and how those things work. But but, it's, but it's it at fine. least acknowledges that like Usenet groups exist. You yeah, know what I mean, like yeah, yeah. it isn't embarrassingly bad. Like they didn't invent something that right. the internet never would be. Like a lot of movies did at that exactly. time. Exactly, that's exactly what yeah. I'm saying. It's exactly yeah, what I'm saying. but I have to say, like having just rewatched Sneakers too, it is funny how much this movie owes to that. Mm-hmm. I right. think quite a bit, and uh, the tech there was amazing, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, and, there's so much going on here. I, I, what's interesting. about about this movie too it doesn't to me it doesn't even feel like a mid-90s movie guys this movie feels like a 70s mm, movie it feels yeah. like something like people like, like yeah well, well De Palma and Robert Town like these are this is the old guard of Hollywood making a big blockbuster movie in the mid-90s and even then it felt really weird and different because you look at like Mission Impossible 2 and like that is a lot of 90s action. That's like peak <laughs> 90s action. Yeah. And this movie was even weird back then. Uh, I hadn't watched it since the 90s. So it was really fun revisiting it. It really holds up. I don't know. Like for me, I think um, maybe some of the pacing is a little too much. At, at some points, like just get to it, guys. We know what you're trying to do. Um, but yeah, it's still it still holds up. It's really fascinating to watch right now. So I'm not we sure should... I agree 100 percent with uh, with how well it holds up. It's I think it's fun and it still has a lot of great stuff in it, but it, it felt it felt a little old to me. Just yeah. just pacing wise, and there, it's funny too because we find Tom Cruise at the beginning, and he's like this young hotshot kid who's just like palling around with people, and it's such a funny way to introduce the Ethan Hunt, who becomes you know this wizened old uh you know um experienced mi agent he's a it, mythological figure by the by the final movie you know or yeah, by the yeah. Most recent. but yeah, I, it, I disagree I, I think it holds up really well and i think like this psychological drama uh th- this kind of mind game that uh, uh mr phelps's wife is playing with ethan hunt uh really works in, in my opinion like you you really understand why he would be willing to jeopardize everything for you know uh, for knowledge of whether or not uh, Claire, played by Emmanuel Bayard, uh, is a traitor, and uh, that that is the heart of the film. As Jim Phelps says at the end, he says, uh, "Like uh, you ask the question, but you yourself are the answer." And I, I think that whole relationship uh, and the the kind of simmering romance between them really worked for me. There, I, I actually remember this is you know. Reddit launched a new subreddit this week uh, called "Not in the Movie," and uh, is it not in the movie? It's like it's like it's a it's a subreddit where people talk about uh, shots from the trailer 
for the film that didn't make it into the final film. And this is one of my first experiences with that because there was like in the trailer, it's it's called uh, Reddit's uh, R not in the movie. It's an awesome subreddit. I love it. And uh, what uh, I, this is one of my first experiences of, of experiencing like a, a scene in the, in the trailer that wasn't in the movie. There was like a love scene between Ethan Hunt and Claire that never made it into the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, like in, in, instead, in the movie, it's only hinted at that there is something going on between <laughs> your the two. teenage self feels betrayed. Yeah, it's I like, felt completely betrayed that I didn't get man. to see a, a love scene on screen. Um, but uh, but yeah, anyway, I think it holds up much better than Jeff Kanata saying, and uh, I really appreciate it. Also, a couple of couple of random things to point out. One is that this was during a time when uh, like when they dressed up in masks, like the masks were often actually masks. Yeah. Um, or specifically that one time at the beginning. No, two times, I think. Once in yeah. the very opening and then when they go to the party. Um, so that was uh, that was very interesting. I remember at the time, I still remember I was like a teenager when this movie came out, people complaining so much about how convoluted this plot was. Right? And <laughs> yeah. how, how Well, it's a crazy way to, to, to do the film version of a, a new franchise because they, they spend about 10 minutes – uh, trying to ex- establish what how the IMF works, yeah. mm-hmm. and then completely like <laughs> undermine it, mess with it, uh, sh- try to you know uh, show you how screwed up it goes from that norm. But we barely got a sense to even understand the norm before everything goes haywire. So right. you know it, it feels like a second or third film in a franchise rather than a first. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think everybody part, saw the TV show. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. it was just, it was really confusing because, you know, first of all, I think the storytelling and how confusing it is is like nothing compared to what people are used to following these days. I mean, like, yeah. the, this, this, this movie has nothing on like a single episode of Westworld. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, in yeah. terms of how much people yeah. are expected to follow. So uh, I think it's just a sign of changing times and how people consume media. But I also do think there were some like genuinely confusing moments in this movie when I first watched it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Particularly the scene when Ethan Hunt meets Jim Phelps at the train station. And he's kind of like replaying in his mind uh, – how Jim Phelps idea. murdered everyone? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's beautifully shot and edited. But at the but time, I had no idea what the heck was going on. Like I remember yeah, when I watched it. Yeah. He's he's playing along yes. with Jim Phelps. Yes, the the live version, correct. But we see him in his head putting together the real version. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and that's a, a hard concept to sell, but it's a brilliant concept to try to to convey in a in a scene. And the way that scene is all shot, like underneath their faces, yes. and it's. It's so wild. Amazing um, sequence. But yeah, I, I remember the first time I watched it when I was a kid, I was like, I have no idea what is happening. You know, like I yeah. just it was very confusing to me back at the Because you're you're seeing something that right. is direct contradiction to what you're hearing them say. And it's so it, yeah, well, not, it's, not, it not only that, the, not only that, but when he's like flashing back, he's like flashing back multiple times to be like, Oh, did it happen this way? No, it didn't. Yeah, it could have yeah, happened this yeah. way. You know, like he he's not even recounting like the flashbacks aren't even uh, necessarily absolute truth, you know what I mean? Right. Um, so it, yeah, it was pretty crazy and like very complex storytelling for uh, for what was ostensibly an action film at the time. Um, but I I love it now. Like looking back on it, watching it again, I really love it. So mm-hmm. that last scene on the train where we find out, you know, everybody's revealed and the and the and the all the betrayals are yeah. out in the open. I mean, it's shot like the freaking Maltese Falcon. It's like swaths of light across eyes, but everything else is in shadow. Yeah. And 
I mean, it is so – it's such an old school kind of movie. Agreed. Uh, it's, it's very very interesting to see it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, any other uh, thoughts? I, I do want to point out that like this is a movie where like in my opinion um, – now, I, I had not had much experience with Mission Impossible, the TV show. My parents watched it a lot um, mm-hmm. and they were big fans. My dad but, loved the show, man. Your, your dad, you said? Yeah. Um, my understanding of one of the appeals of the TV show is it's about everyone working as a team. You know, it's about like everyone has their own little function and they're all working as a team to make this extremely insane thing happen. And uh, you, you really get that in the first part of this, uh, this movie is like, oh, everyone's function is like, this is what the movie is going to be like. You know, I'm watching yeah. and, 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 this and Emilio Estevez is in this. Yeah, Emilio Estevez. <laughs> and then inst- like almost instantly everyone is killed off. And, right. uh, and then like Tom Cruise has to cobble together this like a secondary team. And this uh, but, is why – one of the things that – I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Go well, ahead. I was just going to say like I think that's what you – know, Mission Impossible 2 completely did away really. I mean Ving Rhames and the other guys in the movie and their kind of work as a team. But really <laughs> other it, guy. Yeah. it completely did away with the idea of this being a team kind of thing and Tom Cruise is just like action star. And yeah. that's what I think Mission Impossible 3 did a really good job of is it restored this idea of – uh, these people like working as part of a team, you know, and like, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that's a concept that I think has kind of stayed with the franchise since Mission Impossible Three. But you see a glimpse of it th- at the beginning of this film. Anyway, Jeff, can I go ahead? No, I, I was just going to say the exact thing, yeah. and and I I that is why I favor the latter films in this franchise over the earlier ones because I think Mission Impossible One and Two were trying to be James Bond, mm. and I think that's the wrong way to approach this franchise. I think they found it found its way. Even in even three is much more a a uh, James Bond movie mm-hmm. than four and five are, and I, and by four we really are like, I mean the whole plot of four is like we need to constitute a new team. Here's the team, and it's all about team. And like Tom Cruise has that whole speech at the end about how like I couldn't have done it, we couldn't have done it without unless we were working together, and it really finds its footing as a movie about component parts that are all essential. And mm-hmm. that's when I think this franchise for me is the most fun because they're, they're basically heist movies, but the heist is this, you know, crazy mission. It's not necessarily stealing something, although sometimes it is, uh, but it's, you know, it's this clockwork interconnected. You have to do something over here while I do something over there that I find to be the most fun. And the movies that do that the best are the ones I tend to enjoy the most. Totally. Yeah, most definitely. I, I totally agree with you, Jeff. Uh, I do want to say though, like the, I don't, I wouldn't call the first mission impossible bond like, because there's very little, even like the older, like the Connery bond films, like the, this has a different vibe altogether. This is like you turn Chinatown into a spy film. It just, it is a really specific seventies thriller uh, vibe. There's a lot of paranoia going on there. Mission Impossible two though is straight up what bond was doing in the nineties. And that is, yeah, that's a fun thing to talk about now. Yeah. A couple of other things I want to point out. One is Vanessa Redgrave is in this movie as max and she is also so good. Like her, her kind of extremely <laughs> flirtatious relationship with Tom Cruise is hilarious. Uh, Henry Zerny, Henry Cherney, um, Awesome character actor. He, you're going to see him in Sharp Objects on HBO. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I am bummed that he was not in the franchise after this. I mean, I, th- I thought he was an awesome presence that was like kind of Tom Cruise's nemesis in this film. Uh, and I just love his kind of line deliveries. It's very like deadpan, very understated. 
uh, and it sounds like he's irritated at all times. And I just thought he brought a lot to uh, the character of Kittredge in this movie. Uh, finally, I wanted to mention the like se- kind of central action set piece in this movie. Not the train, but the getting into the CIA uh, yeah, yeah. thing, right? The, the, the iconic shot of him like splayed out on the ground, like an inch away from the floor. And I mean, I think that sequence really summarizes everything that makes Mission Impossible great and terrible at the same time, right? It's great because you have Tom Cruise, uh, you know, hanging off increasingly improbable things as the series goes on in order to entertain millions of people in the audience. Uh, but it's terrible because uh, it's so ridiculous that the CIA would use these, like, extremely dumb things to protect itself. <laughs> I mean, you're going to have, like, pressure-sensitive floor but not just turn off the computer. Do you know what I mean? It just it, – with, with even the mildest the scrutiny. On it. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know like, how long it takes to boot up a computer in 1996? That's true. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but with even the mildest of scrutiny, you know, that you can um, – uh, it, it doesn't really make much sense. That being said, the sequence is really well shot. I mean, I, I still remember that scene of like when uh, Tom Cruise is pulled up to the top really quickly by Jean Renault and, and the the floor changes color behind him and the knife falls. <laughs> you know, it's just so many amazing I lo- I love, moments. I love, yeah. too, the idea that this place is locked down even if you breathe too hard. Yes. Alarms will go <laughs> off. But a fucking rat is just running through the <laughs> – you know? Like that rat's not going to cause the alarms to go off every day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But anyway, yeah. Uh, you know, it is a great sequence. I think the way Jean Reno is like shaking and trying to hold him is like did, they, these guys didn't have a better plan than <laughs> you'll just hold on, you know, as long as I'm down there. Yeah. Uh, but also the thing that I love about Mission Impossible, the concept uh, of Mission Impossible is the scene where they go – Here's the thing. It's got pressure sensitive lights. Yeah, if you yeah, if yeah, you fart, yeah. it'll know. If you you know the the a, a, a thousand armed troopers uh, a parade constantly around it. It's there's hot lava on both sides, you know. A team yeah. of robot dogs are perched precarious, you know. That like that that scene where they talk about how impossible this is and then they do it. Like that's to yeah. me what's so fun and why I'm so pissed at Mission Impossible <laughs> 2 because it didn't have that at all. All right, hey, let, man. let's let's move on guys to our <laughs> discussion of Mission Impossible 2. Agent located. Good morning, Mr. Hunt. Sorry I barged in on your vacation. Well, Mr. Hunt, I don't quite know where to begin. You know? No. Should I? She's got no training for this kind of thing. But to go to bed with a man who lied to him, she's a woman. She's got all the training she needs. Welcome to Australia, mate. This ain't funny. The mother of all nightmares is on the loose. I don't think I can do it. I mean, it'll be difficult. Well, this is not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. Difficult to be a walk in the park for you. 
So Matt Singer wrote a piece recently. You guys see this at ScreenCrush.com? Uh-huh. He published it like a couple days ago. It's a coincidence. But he basically says, like, it's time to stop bashing Mission Impossible 2, an underrated uh, movie. What is it? Hold on. The, uh, an underrated action movie, right, is what he, what he says here. And he makes uh, a few points. He says, uh, number one, Mission Impossible 2 is the movie where Mission Impossible became the franchise we love. Uh, point two, it has the franchise's best use of the Mission Impossible masks. Point three, it is a sneaky good John Woo movie. Point four, the plot hinges on every man on planet Earth instantly falling in love with Tandy Newton, a concept Fair. that is extremely plausible. Yes. And uh, point five, Tom Cruise's hair is magnificent. So that, that's his <laughs> argument. No, it's, a movie, it's a movie about Tom Cruise's hair. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Totally. Uh, but guys, I, I mean, here's the thing about Mission Impossible 2. It's terrible, in my opinion. It's it very, is terrible. It's, it's very bad. Terrible. But I love it. Dude, I loved it at the time. I remember <laughs> my my roommate and I at the time went so crazy for this movie because we saw it yeah. in college. And we were such John Woo nutballs. And we were so excited that he was doing this movie with Tom Cruise. And we just – we thought the like the motorcycle sequence was so amazing yes. and all the fight sequences were so amazing. Mm-hmm. And I – watching it this week – I was like, this movie is straight up bad. Yeah, it's, <laughs> this it's is bad. a bad, it's bad movie. I remember. Okay, so I remember watching the special features for this movie, Jeff Kanata, and uh, there is a scene where Tom Cruise is like, you know, if you look at the script of this film, I mean, it's just so good. And then right <laughs> after that, it shows a scene with Tom Cruise interacting with Tandy Newton's character, and he's like, "Well, would it make you feel better?" If uh, if I told you that I didn't want you to go, and she's like, "Yes," and he's like, "Well, then feel better." You yeah, know, feel <laughs> I, I remember thinking at the time I was watching that special feature, like, I, I don't know how good the script is. You know? <laughs> yeah, I don't know yeah. if I believe Tom Cruise that it's like really good. Also, uh, surprising, Robert Town, still screenwriter, hmm. well, wrote yeah. this movie. Too, here's here's so, the thing about yeah. here's the thing about this movie's script. It does have. <laughs> The best line in the entire Mission Impossible franchise. Yes. Right? Which is when uh, Anthony Hopkins, who's playing Ethan Hunt's boss, says, Mr. Hunt, this isn't Mission Difficult. It's Mission Impossible. Difficult should be a walk in the park for you. So good. So so that is a great and, line. Yeah. Yes. And if yeah. anybody other than Anthony Hopkins says it, it could <laughs> sound really dumb. But he makes it sound so good. Yes. Good. Yes. Also, is. by the way, story credits for this movie always gives me like a, a little nice geek thrill to see because it's Ronald D. Moore. Who gave us, you know, Battlestar eventually, yeah. and Brandon Braga, like two Star Trek guys, uh, gave you know delivered the story for this movie, and the story is terrible. Like terrible. whatever is going on <laughs> in this movie is ridiculous. Um, so I like I like I like bad movies that find a little fun sometimes, like that line, I, you know, like it's very self aware in that. I, I, the I, the yeah, the, uh, the um um courtship via <laughs> speeding car slow motion speeding car, yeah. I mean, the tale is old this time. Yes. It's basically fucking while in cars, I guess. But this is what happens when you give John Woo, you know, a huge, huge franchise. And I honestly, I was also obsessed with this movie when I was in high school because I watched a lot of action movies and I watched a lot of John Woo movies. It was really cool to see people, you know, that I was going to school with also being excited over this thing because I knew uh, I was watching John Woo at the time. I, I could like geek out about certain little things. Um, I dreaded rewatching this movie because I've tried a couple times recently. It just never really happened. But honestly, once you get past the hump of that first act, which is mostly dialogue, like it, it's sort of like mostly them film. humping. Yeah, yes. mostly mm-hmm. them humping. Uh, but once you get past a lot of that, uh, and just like the visual poetry of it, like yeah, that car chase is completely improbable. But damn, is it beautiful! There, there's so many great 
things and great ideas. That shootout in the lab where, uh, you know, we have Tom Cruise dual pistoling it like Chow Yun-Fat. And it just so much of that looks good. Um, I even the motorcycle stuff like it is. There's wildly inventive and really cool action going on here, even if like the stuff around it is, uh, you know, it's kind of trashy. But I've rewatched a lot of, you know, 90s schlocky action movies. And compared to a lot of them, this one honestly holds up. Like compared to the later Brosnan James Bonds, I'd watch this any day. I think I I, I want to take a, a moment to talk about how wildly successful these first two films were. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to read from Wikipedia for Mission Impossible One. Mission Impossible opened on May 22nd, 1996, in 3,000 theaters, the most ever up to that point, and it broke the record for a film opening on Wednesday with 11.8 million dollars. Um, the film also set house records in several theaters across the United States. Mission Impossible grossed 75 million dollars in its first six days, surpassing Jurassic Park, and took in more than 56 million dollars over the four-day Memorial Day weekend, beating out the Flintstones. Um, Cruz deferred his usual $20 million fee for a significant percentage of the box office. The film went on to make $180.9 million in North America and $276.7 million in the rest of the world for a total of $457, uh, sorry, $457.6 million. But Mission Impossible 2, guys, was even more successful than that. I mean, the film grossed $57 million in its opening weekend and held the number one spot for three weekends. When Mission Impossible 2 came out in 2000. Um, mm-hmm. It's a different the, time. The it's film eventually time. grossed $215 million in North America uh, and $330 million in other territories, totaling $546 million worldwide, the highest grossing film of 2000. So uh, regardless of how insane and ridiculous it was, these were amazingly successful movies. Yeah. Uh, and, and also movies that had a ton of cultural impact. I mean, I think Mission Impossible 2, that Ben Stiller parody, is almost as well known as oh, you know, the movie itself. And I think this movie did give us a ton of iconic Mission Impossible imagery. I mean, the mm-hmm. kind of free climbing with no safety gear at the beginning of this film, yeah. uh, that is still impressive today, in my opinion. I think that's yep. the best part of the movie. I honestly think it never <laughs> reaches those heights again. For, for me, now, Literally. now, nowadays. Literally. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think that is the, cool, the coolest imagery, the, cool, like, the coolest idea of him uh, doing that. It, it, the way it's shot is spectacular. The, the cool sunglasses to throwing them right at the camera to having them explode, all that stuff it's so john woo but so awesome and i don't think the movie ever gets back there for me anymore we we have to talk before we move on to mission Impossible three we have to talk a little bit about do gray scott right because what a what a sad story (laughs) well well okay so here's the thing is he uh was supposed to be cast as wolverine in x-men one and he couldn't do it because he was working on mission impossible two now my my understanding was he had a decision to make which movie was he going to take they were shooting at the same time and it was either play the 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 villain in the sequel to the smash hit successful right. Tom Cruise film. You're the second lead basically in a Tom Cruise sequel that to this movie that was a huge smash success or play this comic book character in a genre that doesn't work uh, for a director that did the usual suspects. Right. It, it, it seemed like a no brainer. It seemed like a no. And the, here's the thing. I bet everyone who worked on this movie did really well. You know, like, I think that they all made a ton of money off this movie. It was wildly yeah. successful. 
I, I, I think they're they're okay, but at the same time, I mean, everyone knows who Hugh Jackman is, and uh, that guy he appeared in what like fifteen movies as as Wolverine. It became one of the defining characters of our age in terms of cinema, uh, and no one knows who Drew Scott is anymore, really. But uh, I can't imagine anybody would have given him the advice to take the Wolverine part right. over. That's it's like it's an it's a no brainer. It's a it. It's money in the bank to be in the Tom Cruise movie, and you feel like it's going to catapult your career into the stratosphere. And this comic book movie where it's silly, you're dressed up in, in tights, you and have your knives you know, coming out of your fists. You yeah, know? what is that even about? No one's going to remember that in two years. It's yeah, it just Here, feels like. Here's the question, right? Is if uh, if Dougray Scott had taken X Men, would he be the greatest showman today? Right. Is the <laughs> uh, but. Let me ask you, well, like, what did you think of his performance? I thought it was uh, deliciously hammy. You know, yeah, like, he's, it, he's so much fun. It's extremely in this role. cheesy, extremely evil, uh, and I mean, I still like I still, some of his line readings are so over the top. Like, how about dying and making me a lot of money? You know, like I still <laughs> like it's just it is hilarious how over the oh, top it dude. is, and um, yeah, I, I appreciate it for what it is, which is like a comic book style villain character. I think he's a great villain, honestly. And compared to, like, uh, I just rewatched Ghost Protocol, and I love everything about that movie except that vanilla ass villain. Like, it is. <laughs> yeah, he is. There's super just un- nothing. Remarkable. There's a there's moment in the, at the him. end of that movie where the, where the, a mask comes off and it's him, and you're like, yeah, oh, it's, huh? oh him. A- after the end of the desert chase, and I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah. okay, cool. Him? I guess that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Him? Oh, oh, him. Oh, yeah. okay. That. Whereas guy. this guy, he's he's evil. He's he's smarmy. He's evil. Like from that opening scene too. Like he just exudes evil. Um, uh, speaking of the Wolverine role, like I, I'm very glad we got Hugh Jackman instead of him. Like it's just a completely different swagger and energy. Um, but yeah, I do think a, the way they handle him as an IMF agent is really uh, weird in this movie. Like, yeah, for in, yeah. like Anthony Hopkins, like, yeah. So, um, Dougray Scott, this guy was supposed to double you. Uh, yeah, he was supposed you, to. You were on vacation. You were on we vacation, you. so we had him double you, and he completely. Uh, but <laughs> Sean Ambrose betrayed the organization and put the world, you know, world uh, health in jeopardy to steal this virus. Um, and we're just not going to talk about that again. You know, yeah. like uh, it's just completely yeah. unacknowledged. Uh, that well, they couldn't they, afford to get Anthony Hopkins back. You know, he had to he had to do that one scene. Well, I, I remember. Just, I just mean, they, they didn't even like it, it. Like this is a major infiltration <laughs> of IMF ranks that they're just like, oh, well, it happens you know, after the well, first really movie. It does, I mean, come it does on, happen all the time. Yeah, <laughs> they're used to it. Yeah, yeah. I remember I, I the not- critic. Um, either the web series reboot of the critic, I mm-hmm. think, made direct fun of this movie, and the skit was like literally like Anthony Hopkins delivering one line and just give me my money now. <laughs> like th- that's what he feels like in this movie. Yeah, uh, there's a couple of things I want to point out that actively kind of made me angry rewatching this movie. Please, uh, the first is uh, the motorcycle sequence, which I was really anticipating because I yeah. remembered <laughs> loving it. Yeah, it's not good. Uh, and there is a there's a moment <laughs> where Tom Cruise is on foot. The motorcyclist who is tr- tracking him down jumps over him, yep. and Tom Cruise shoots the person off the motorcycle from <laughs> underneath. And it is so preposterous and goofy that I so was like, good. "No, yeah, no, you just John described Woo. eighteen John Woo movies." Jeff. Yeah, like, I know, and I, just, I love them all. Yeah, 
What, okay. uh, the point in that chase where he he does the okay, I'm just gonna put my feet on the ground to avoid getting shot. That makes no sense. But it's right. such a John Woo logic thing. I'm like, yeah, this this is a beautiful action movie, stupid thing. I love it. The other thing, the other moment that got me actively angry, uh, and I know that I think this was even one of the points you brought up as to why the movie is underappreciated, but it, it it's <laughs> it's straight up dumb. Is <laughs> is the big reveal at the end that he put the mask on the guy with the duct tape over his mouth because uh, so uh, the biggest gift that mission impossible three gave to this franchise is retconning the mask tech to being something that's based in reality and not, not dumb and goofball-y. But this movie like leans so hard into goofball, like the idea of him (laughs) beating somebody up, putting duct tape on their mouth and then administering very realistic. He had the machine right there. It's, it's like a portable mask making like machine. What I wouldn't give for the scene where he's putting the mask on an unwilling recipient and able to put it on in such a uh, effective way that it becomes p- pitch perfect, picture perfect. Completely yeah. seamless. Yeah. I love like I, I love to face off in the nineties too. So like to me, right. it was like, this is just seeing him go crazy with that concept uh, in a mission impossible. I just found that hilarious, but yeah, uh, does not make sense. I like how Ingo's protocol, they even build up the masks and like it just doesn't uh, really happen. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant that they that they yeah, do that and then don't do it. But the best thing is is in three when it's like, okay, well let's give you a little let's Batman yeah. begins this a bit yeah. and, and you know, explain <laughs> how it could be. Yeah. yeah, yeah, indeed. Any other thoughts on Mission Impossible Two or shall we move on? I mean I didn't I, I, I kind of forgot this was a pre Westworld movie too. In a way, so that, that was fun. Yeah, because you uh, have Anthony Hopkins and yeah. Tandy Newton in, in the movie. And Tandy yeah. Newton. And I think it's, Tandy Newton, like, you know, the dialogue is not good in this movie, but I think everybody really does a good job of uh, selling their role. And I think Tandy Newton, as the, like, sultry thief, she is quite good. Um, Doug Ray Scott is super evil guy. Even his henchman, who has, like, a weird like obsession with Doug Ray Scott's character and like is jealous. Of <laughs> like I love, I love all this. Cause like they, they, I think they each exude that it is. You watch this movie as like a silent action movie basically. <laughs> and I think it works really well. I, I think it's by far the worst of this series. But, I agree. Uh, I agree. Agree. It's, it's very I will bad. Agree with that. It's very bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. I don't disagree with anything Matt Singer wrote in his article. You know, I thought yeah. all, all those yeah. points are correct. But at the same time, it's still a bad movie that's aged very poorly. Uh, yep. So, you know, uh, it may life. be one of it's those weird. you had to be there movies too. Like, I can't imagine somebody who wasn't, it didn't have that like kernel of love for this movie, can go back and rewatch it and find something. But who knows? This, this like, is definitely cinema. the definition of one of those movies that you're like embarrassed to yeah. go back to. Well, yeah. I remember it's when just I watched of this movie. its time. Yeah, it's I, so of its time. Yeah. It was like. It was so on the nose of what was cool at that time. And, I, and that's why I remember thinking it was so cool, but it just doesn't age well at all. I, I, I we still remember coming night. home from the theater watching this film and thinking yeah. how amazing of a time I had at the theater. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. And then like, looking back on it, you're crowd. like, wow, that's awful. The crowd loved it. Yeah. I watched this movie with like several times during high school um, and people loved it. Like just like it was a great crowd experience. Um, I watched all these movies with my family too, not in the theater, but we end up watching all them at home at some point when I was growing up. And uh, you know, I have, a, I have a great fondness for all this. For some reason, this dumb one. Yeah, like I was saying, I, I think it is a wonderful farewell to the like excess of '90s action movies. Like there, <laughs> it's a particular type of breed of excess, and this is like excess on top of excess. It's so good. Two motorcycles driving yes. right at each other. Right at each other, and then Both, they jump. Yeah, they, like, they hit what? each other. Yeah. 
What? What they happens? The if you you just uh, assume the other guy's gonna jump like you jump. What? What if you are the only one that goes for the jump move? You just soar over the other motorcycle. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, All right, guys, let's get to Mission Impossible Three. Agent confirmed. Stand by to go live on my mark. Five. You have a, a wife, girlfriend. Four. Three. Whoever she is, I'm gonna find her. Two. I'm gonna hurt her. One. And then I'm gonna kill you right in front of her. What are you not telling me? All right, folks. Mission Impossible Three. Uh, this is uh, kind, of, kind of a game changer for the Mission Impossible franchise. Uh, Mission Impossible 2 had come out in uh, 2000, right? And uh, you'd expect, oh, massively successful film. Let's definitely make a sequel right away. But it was six years until Mission Impossible 3 came out. And I guess uh, Tom Cruise is busy doing other things, but he also uh, was waiting to to put a, a, an interesting spin on the franchise again. There, and- there were some false starts, too. Like, uh, we hear about... Uh- What's his name? Joe Carnahan was yeah. working on, you know, was I think was in something. Was he? He had a script and he was in production. And then, like, uh, yeah, uh, I think Tom Cruise was like, "Yeah, this is not impossible enough for me." Yeah, he and said. I, I think it was like, "This is uh, Mission Impossible, not Mission Very Hard." You know, like was, <laughs> was the reaction to why they couldn't make. I think it was Joe Carnahan's script. Yeah, um, it was. Joe but, yeah, uh, David Fincher at one point was slated to direct the movie. So yeah, there's a lot of like. Different people, different ideas. Um, uh, Tandy Newton was offered to reprise her role from the previous film, but she declined. Oh, um, which wouldn't so, have that been so cool to have her be the marriage that he's – I mean I know yeah. the marriage was all about hiding yeah. the life from her, but still would have been so rad to have It that. just would have been a completely different movie than what we got, yes. I think. If, if yeah. We, yeah. You know, and J.J. And Abrams right from the start centers this in – I mean Ethan Hunt's – Domestic life is so such a like dramatic <laughs> difference from what it was in Mission Impossible Two. Um, I was watching Mission Impossible yeah. Two with my wife, and she was saying this character in Mission Impossible Two bears. Yes, it's me, Jamie Lang from Made in Chelsea, and you have stumbled across the Made in Chelsea podcast. Now I know I'm a pretty charming guy, all right. And people come up to me, and go, "Hey, Jamie, <laughs> how do you do it?" And I tell them, "Be enthusiastic about meeting people, and most importantly, always be ready." to smile. So make sure yours are looking the best with Sensodyne. It's designed to help care for sensitive teeth. The MIC Drop is proudly sponsored by Sensodyne. Here for the hashtag sensitive moments on Made in Chelsea. Absolutely no resemblance to the character we see in Mission Impossible 1 or 3. Here's a guy who's driving around the countryside, like cliffside, freaking, you know. uh, Banging chicks. Just banging banging chicks. Like falling in love with random women. You know, like like he's reckless. In Mission Impossible yeah. 2, he's reckless. Mm-hmm. And in Mission Impossible 1, he's a lot of things, but he's not reckless. Like He, yeah. he, is... he has a mother and an uncle right. to uh, save. Right, yes, <laughs> that's so true. They completely abandoned that concept, <laughs> yeah. by the way. They, they abandoned the concept back. of him having any domestic ties. Like, 2 really sticks out, not only stylistically, but in terms of the character. Whatever character there is right. of Ethan Hunt. It is d- does not really resemble the character you, you see in, in the second He is an film. action figure in two. Yeah, he's James Bond. Yeah, 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 yeah. he's yeah. like old school James Bond. Yeah. So yeah. after a while, J.J. Abrams comes in and uh, he kind of restores this franchise to its former glory. Uh-huh. Uh, and there's many different things that he does. First of all, uh, he recruits Michael Giacchino to do the music. And yeah. let me tell you, after the uh, Limp Biscuit 
of the Mission Impossible Two theme. Uh, like Michael Giacchino, like <laughs> he didn't he didn't take the theme in that many new directions, but he gave like he really kind of gave it a much more classical feel. It was very classy, is how I yeah. describe. Yeah. Well, also very much his his style, which is very like string heavy. You know, yeah, 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 like, yeah totally. Very, it's very specific to him. I think you can tell a Michael Giacchino score. You know, when you when you hear it. And I wonder if that's becoming a problem. Like a lot of them are starting to sound similar. But with Mission Impossible 3, it was just uh, it was amazing to me watching this movie. Right. Because I was a huge Alias fan. I thought J.J. Abrams was like a visionary. Like like I thought this guy was a future blockbuster cinema. And uh, I feel a little right there because uh, called it. Um, like these movies, these movies are all alias the movie, basically. Um, especially like at the beginning of three, we get Carrie Russell, we get Felicity herself, um, you know, be doing badass stuff, which I think maybe led to her doing the Americans too. Um, but there, it's, it, it is so refreshing, like just the style of it, the sharpness of it, the way the, the action is framed. It's very precise. Um, it's funny. I don't think one and two are funny at all. Like two is intentionally funny, but three it really introduces the idea of like quipping quipness and all that yeah. stuff. You know, it's all good. Yeah, I don't know how you guys can say this isn't the best one of the of the franchise. I, I, oh, I, just wait, Jeff. <laughs> I think this one is so good, jam packed with stuff. We get not one but two of those things that I love, where they're like, "How can we possibly even do this? This is impossible," and then they do it. Um, <laughs> We get uh, the bar none, hands down, best villain of yes. the series yes. uh, in uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. The way that the movie starts with Ethan Hunt, like trying to protect his wife, and like the count that countdown of like oh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, like so not caring, like dead voice, just counting down, and uh, Tom Cruise begging him to stop, like that. And then we cut yeah. from that to like domestic life uh it's just so different and bold and so interesting true. and the action sequences are incredible there's that you know that super iconic sideways blast thing that yeah. takes tom cruise mm-hmm. on the bridge into the side of the car that like is so iconic the heist into uh, the vatican is so smart and cool and interesting uh, it's a great this is a i think this is the best one it's a great movie. I, I don't disagree. I just think like I like Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation even more. Like, and that shows how much I love this franchise, I guess. Um, but I think like there there are some things that don't maybe don't quite work. I think you can kind of tell this is J.J. Abrams' first feature, and some things feel a little too hokey. I'm not a fan of uh, that final sequence where he yeah. kind of reunites with everybody and they're all smiling and they're all happy. The, 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 uh, ending, the ending is pretty rough. Like the yeah, last like, like, credits, yeah. leap into the like, air. And- Leap in the air and freeze frame. Yeah. <laughs> so well, they literally freeze frame at the end of this this movie. Yeah. Yes. yeah. It should have cut the credits after he was like, "Yeah, I'm going on my honeymoon. D- done. Movie done." Uh, the, I, I don't think That's a minor um, quibble, though. I feel it is, but it's it's things like that, like just little things like that spread through. I don't think uh, I love Michelle Monaghan. I don't. I don't quite you know buy her in this role. It felt like they really had to force that emotional arc, and you feel that at the beginning too, because like it's all domestic life, it's all set up. Oh, they're getting married, all this great stuff. Uh, but I agree, like so much of this movie, it is completely refreshing after MI two. It is so different from so much, you know, all the spy stuff we were getting at that point. Um, this is after Born Supremacy, right? So it's like it's very different. And uh, was Casino Royale out by this point? Is that 2005? I don't think so. 
I don't. Th- I think it's after. Yeah, that. yeah, it's pre Casino Royale. So it's like, yeah, we were in this place where we we had great Bourne movies, but like really cool, fun, action-packed spy movies, not really around. So I think it was refreshing in that respect, um, and certainly the best villain of the franchise, like Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, is MVP of this uh, in terms of villainy. But when we get into the later movies, like I think there's the set pieces are bigger and more interesting. I think you can see a lot of like that whole bridge sequence feels very green screeny now and very small compared to where the series goes. Like they make a big deal over him jumping over a hole in the bridge. You know, and that kind of shows like how small the stakes were at this point. But yeah, the later so stuff, cool, though, how he throws the gun first. Throws yeah. the gun. Yeah, it's so cool, that man. Whole sequence is is pretty fantastic. It just to me, I think Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation just feel like bigger expressions of this idea of how you handle, you know, a big action movie. So I, I love this movie, uh, and I think there's great things about it, and I think there's things that are not good about it. One of the things I love about it is, yeah, the the action is really well done, and I think J.J. Abrams is a master of understanding. And I've said this probably on the podcast many times. He's a master of understanding how to combine the practical and you know cg effects i think the the bridge sequence is a good one right that entire sequence was shot in the desert they they basically built a bridge in the middle of nowhere jj abrams was like look we're going to cg all the water behind yeah. the bridge like i i just know it's going to work i know it's going to work and it totally <laughs> does work like and that's just like it takes a lot of faith for you to understand how like the human eye works and how mm-hmm. how you can sell something like that they're this in the first middle. movie yeah first it, movie ever and to have that kind of confidence is amazing it, it is amazing it, the idea that he's like ILM is going to make this water behind the bridge and it's going to look amazing and you're not even going to think for a second that it's all desert that we're shooting this in uh, it takes a lot of balls and I think he totally pulls it off um, and great special features on this one too because you see a mm-hmm. lot of great behind the scenes stuff. On this disc with JJ, with it being his first movie, interacting, explaining how they did things, right. blowing yeah. up the car in the middle of the f- freaking Vatican, like, or, you know, like like what it took to have it set up. You don't even think about it in the context mm-hmm. of the movie, but they set off an explosion in this like historic district of Italy, uh, of Rome, where like they had to ensure everybody that they would never they wouldn't harm all these you know priceless <laughs> right. antique buildings. A lot of really cool special features uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on this disc. Um, but, so I, I hate the ending, the last like two minutes of the movie, and also kind of the, like the lead up to it. I think like, yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman, amazing actor, but I feel like he, he, this is a compliment and a disparagement of the role. I, I think he brought a lot to this role, meaning yeah. that there was very little there on the page for him to work with. And I think uh, because he's such a compelling screen presence, he really made that villain work. But it's not like the best written villain character or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think when we're talking about villain characters, the, the only one, in my opinion, that really works is uh, the villain from Rogue Nation. And to a lesser extent... Uh, Sean and Ambrose Jim from Mission Impossible 2. I think Jim Phelps works too, like as a as an eh, overall. Like thing. I don't know that yeah. I fully buy or understand why he wanted to betray everyone and kill everyone. Right, you right, know? right. Um, Listen, he was old and the Cold War was over, and he was tired. <laughs> and he had a hot yeah. young wife, and he was like, you know, time time for a break. Time I want to I want to point out one other thing. Well, let me just let me just finish my thought, oh, and then I'll, I'll <laughs> throw it over to you. But like the I, I hate that ending, but <laughs> and with all of them super happy. But the one thing I'll say about Mission Impossible 3 that I really appreciate is it is the one film that I feel is most grounded in a reality that I recognize. Right. You know, right. With him, like, having that dinner party at the beginning, they're announcing their wedding, and, oh, the, the sister gives, like, this emotional speech. And it's like, oh, like, I feel like this guy has a family. There's, like, emotional stakes here. 
that yeah. I don't really feel in any of the other films. You know, that... but, but you know, you know what's funny about that though is that Tom Cruise does not seem comfortable in that environment at all. Like he is, he <laughs> he's is completely he's awkward, right? He's, he's so awkward. He's completely yeah. alien to having like small social gatherings. Like <laughs> he is, he's the party host that just tries too hard. And he's always like uh, making sure you, you got to make sure everybody has a drink like all the time, like a little crazy, just a, a, a little too crazy. So I found that all hilarious. Um, I agree. It does give the movie more emotional stakes, but uh, <laughs> that's not an area where Cruz really excelled, I guess, for me with this character. Jeff Kanata, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, that scene is an example of something else I want to highlight from this movie and something else that I think J.J. Abrams does exceptionally well, which is set up some payoffs. We see in a wonderful little moment of levity how he's got this special skill where he can read lips and how that yep. is paid off later in the movie. But that's not even the best one. For and that. also mm-hmm. in Mission Impossible 4, we should say. Right. It's, yeah. it, it returns in Mission Impossible 4. Uh, and they don't even like reference it. It's just you just assume <laughs> that, that you remember Ethan Hunt could do that. Um, but the best, the best setup and payoff in Mission Impossible 3 for my money is the defibrillator. Because yeah. you have – at the beginning of the movie, you have uh, Carrie Russell who, let's be honest, one of the most disturbing deaths ever in a movie. Yeah. Like weird eyes that are it's, not yeah. – It right. gets me every time. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just rough. Yeah. So disturbing. Um, yeah. But this awesome idea that Tom Cruise is going to literally defibrillate her head mm-hmm. – to bring her back to to to, ki- to destroy the uh, the thing in her head and kill her and then bring her back. Uh, it, that concept is so cool. Like there's a metal the uh, electric chip in my head. How are we going to get it? We're going to zap it. We're going to use a defibrillator in a way it's not supposed to be used. We're going to zap your brain. Oh my god, that would kill her. Yeah. Well, then I'll defibrillate her again and bring <laughs> her back. Like, but the movie at that moment yeah. doesn't let that even happen. Like the the idea is like thrown away at that point, and you think, oh my god, what a cool concept! He's gonna do it. He's gonna be awesome, Ethan Hunt, Tom Cruise, and he's gonna do it. And then the movie goes, nope, not giving that to you. <laughs> that awesome idea that we just explained, and then later in the movie, we we have to we have to remember that oh, that was just a setup for this moment where we have to Tom has to do it to himself, and not only that, we're in a room of medical equipment so we go oh he's gonna defibrillator it but the movie goes no no defibrillator <laughs> in this medical equipment no okay, defibrillator it, it, if for you. you don't pronounce defibrillator correct one time i'm gonna lose my mind <laughs> jeff's head will uh, yeah dave's head will explode uh, am I as if it, you defibrilla- implanted something it's defibrillator defibrillator yeah defibrillator <laughs> yeah what did I say? Defibrillator? Yeah, some some random crazy variations of that. <laughs> defib. Anyway, that heart thing where defib. they say clear. Defib. You can call it defib. Yeah, that. sure. Uh, you know, it's not very much like me to mispronounce something over and over like that, but I appreciate you correcting me. Um, anyway, you kind of de- derailed me. But the cool part is, like, it doesn't even exist in that medical equipment. Yeah. yeah. And then he has to improvise a way to do it crazy, even yeah. more crazy. Like – those series of steps of like, here's this really cool idea. Nope, you don't get it. Oh, here it comes back later. Nope, you still don't get it. Our guy has to be MacGyver to even figure out how to do this crazy thing. Like that, I love the structure of that. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's mm-hmm. so JJ and so brilliant. So Agreed. JJ, I also want to shout out to Lawrence Fishburne in this movie, who I think is fantastic. Just like his, he has the best lines in the movie and the best delivery. I'm, it's it's a shame he did not come back because I'd much rather have Lawrence Fishburne as a like smarmy government, uh, you know, uh, head rather than Alec Baldwin or something. Mm, mm. 
All right, Mission Impossible 3, very strong entry into the franchise and definitely positioned this franchise yeah. for you know more movies that were uh, of the same kind and, yeah. and also very it, It's J.J. Abrams planting a flag, like saying this is it. And Bad Robot also, I think, took over production too. Like, so it's, yeah. all, it's all under the Abrams vision basically going forward. It does seem to me, though, that there's a clear delineation mark. It feels like two trilogies. Like it seems, it seems to me that the number four decided, okay, these aren't going to be bespoke, unique stories. There is going to be some follow through here. And where the first movies had a couple of characters here and there that popped mm-hmm. up, they really didn't care to establish any universe of of the. Um, Other than Bing Rames. Bing Rames is right. eternal. Yeah. Right. And we sort yeah. of get, a, you know, a, a little hint at what's happening, but they don't really care enough about that. And it, yeah. it feels like, I know you guys hate that ending with Finn R- Bing Rames literally like putting two fingers in the sky and being like, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I felt like that was a clear, like, here's a happy ending for our characters. And this is sort of the end of this trilogy of movies. And then four kind of felt like it's starting this new idea of, we're going to create a team and that team is going to have thing, and there's going to be stuff, you know, the end of four leads right into the beginning of five and that it just felt like a more cohesive universe building thing. Yeah. So let's get into our conversation about mission impossible Four: ghost protocol. An hour ago, a bomb blew up the Kremlin. president has initiated ghost protocol the entire imf has been disavowed now i've been ordered to take you to washington where they will hang the kremlin bombing on you and your team unless you were to escape after assaulting brant and me but if any one of your team is caught they will be branded terrorists out to incite global nuclear war What happens now? Your mission, should you choose to accept it. And, oh, I, I forgot to mention, you know, we, we should also say, like, Mission Impossible 3, the b- box office was okay. Uh, it made around mm-hmm. $394 million worldwide, uh, which is, was the, or $397 million worldwide, which is the lowest in the franchise until then. But uh, they believed in the concept. They're like, let's, let's keep, let's keep. There's something interesting here. Something interesting with uh, continuing this set of movies and uh, outcomes. Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol. My understanding is that Christopher McQuarrie actually helped to break the story of Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol. Like the the huh. movie was kind of in a rough state, and uh, uh, Christopher McQuarrie came in and helped to save it. Uh, and that's how um, he was able to get the directing gig for Mission Impossible: Rogue Nation. Well, also Jack Reacher too, right? So. They kind of proved yeah, he could yeah, actually yeah. make a big action movie, yeah. Yeah, and he, he says here about he, – he did an uncredited rewrite of the screenplay. Huh. Um, and he says, uh, what I did was about clarity. The mystery had to be made simpler. It's like reaching into a sock and pulling it inside out. It's still a sock, still all the same pieces, but all put together in a different order. End quote. That's interesting. I haven't yeah. heard that before. Yeah. I kind of want to um, dig into that now. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think originally they explained a lot more about this franchise uh, or about this story back then. And uh, before – Christopher McQuarrie came on board. Uh, and we should also point out that there was like a lot of talk about Jeremy Renner's Brant mm-hmm. character kind of succeeding Ethan Hunt, like Ethan Hunt kind of passing the torch. I remember that being part of the conversation at the time, but yeah, it was totally. the time it was 
There's a time when Jeremy Renner was going to succeed everybody. Yeah, they was... they wanted him as a lead and everything, and then we learned he is better as a supporting player. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that totally did not happen at all. And in fact, his character, <laughs> in my opinion, is pretty pretty awful. Like he, he's he is insufferable like a, here. He is a and wet he's... blanket. He's, he's almost pointless in the movie too. Yeah. He, yeah. He, yeah. He, he's almost superfluous. Yeah. He's there just to be annoying and just to like point out everything wrong that's happening. It's kind of hilarious. Well, he's there to bridge, I think three and four in a in a sort of surprising backstory you mean reveal. Four, four and five, I think. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. Oh, three, oh, three, yeah, four. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. And and I, th- it, it's interesting watching these movies back to back because there is an awesome Mission Impossible two and a or a three and a half that we don't get to see that's all that all happens off screen, but is like an awesome um, movie, uh, often an awesome adventure movie of Ethan hunts uh, tracking down these five uh, terrorists and murdering them and covering it up and hiding the fact that his <laughs> right. wife is still alive. Like that movie would be an amazing mission impossible movie. And it's literally just backstory for one character in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, uh, I love this movie, guys. I think this is my favorite good. one of the franchise. Uh, uh, I think Brad Bird's proficiency with visual storytelling, he will use one, like one shot when so a normal director would use five uh, to communicate uh, events that are happening on screen. Mm-hmm. It has one of the all-time greatest action scenes uh, ever, ever put to yeah. film, right? The Burge Hotel leaping off the top of it and running connect by cable. And the way that sequence is shot, it, it seems, it, you know, if you watch the special features on the disc, it's insane. Did that, you guys see this movie on IMAX, by the way? Like, yeah, when it, I, I, saw, I think I saw it three times in yeah. theaters on IMAX because it was, was, that I was no so death? blown away. Uh, no. I was, yeah, we you... were, re- I was reviewing movies at that time and yeah, they screened it in IMAX and yeah, uh, yeah it is, it's quite something. That uh, whole sequence, like we'll never get that back. Yeah. Like that, the full frame bird. You will like, never get that. The even in the 4K yeah. UHD, they don't even expand the frame during that. that yeah. sequence. No. It's unfortunate yeah. that they don't do that. It, they should. And and I don't want to get pe- too far away from what you just said, Dave, which is mm-hmm. the special features. Yes. Th- this disc alone, <laughs> if, if there's one disc to buy, yeah. it's this one just for the behind the scenes. There's several featurettes that are great, but the behind the scenes about this sequence is so well put together and gives you a sense of how utterly bonkers <laughs> that whole process was. Not just – I mean – it, yes, it is absolutely bonkers what Tom Cruise did, but the entire audacity of them even attempting it and how, you know, I assumed that it, you know, we knew that that Tom did a lot of the stuff and that he was out there and he did it, but I assumed there was some stuff that was faked. No, it's literally all him and literally all on the outside of a, the actual building in Dubai. and. Yeah. I mean, there's even that that big leap that he does, that soaring leap, which is shot from so far away that I thought, oh, well, that's not Tom Cruise. No, it is. And he did it over and over and over again. And not only that, it took him like two weeks to shoot that sequence. So he's outside that building hanging up 126 floors in the in the in the sky. Two weeks just hanging outside a building, just doing his thing over and over and over again. It is. It's so fascinating to watch how that was done, how many windows they had to remove, how they hung the cameras outside the windows, how many times – like even the the close-up stuff where he, he like – you know, his his glove stops working and he falls. None of that was even done on the soundstage. That's literally him <laughs> outside of a building 226 stories up doing a fall. 
it's Man. it's bonkers, bonkers. It's such a great sequence. And I think like honestly though, so I love the sequence completely, but rewatching it, I think this kind of shows what you were saying, Dave, like the uh you know, that you just don't ask certain questions when they're going through a set piece. Like nobody in any of those rooms, yeah, like, no hey, one was looking outdoor- hanging outside my police. window. Yeah. What's up? What's going on here? And also, I, I, I really would have loved to see a shot like from from inside, like from somebody's room, like him <laughs> crying up and somebody just like hanging out in the hotel room or something. Like, yeah. it feels like there, it's a missed opportunity for just yeah, that yeah, one yeah. gag, just yeah. that one thing. But uh, there's so many like what you were saying, Dave. Like this movie really shows how strong Brad Bird is as a visual storyteller. Um, to me, I love this movie so much because the set pieces are fantastic, but also so much of it feels like a running like it is practically a cartoon. There's just so much stuff happening, like the whole jailbreak sequence in the beginning. You know, there's not much dialogue happening. It's Tom Cruise communicating with, uh, you know, with Benji through video, through hand signals. And it's things like that, like really just, you know, it's almost like watching a silent film. I feel like it's like watching a Tom and Jerry cartoon where people are just like chasing each other and like cool stuff is happening, but you can always tell what's happening. So I love all that. Um, the whole yeah, opening Paul sequence. Pat. And we've got to talk about the opening sequence yeah. with set to Dean Martin's Ain't That a Kick in the Head. Amazing. And, well, but- yeah, and when when it's playing, you know, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but the dudes are kicking the guards in the head. Do you guys yes, notice that? Yes, it was very oh, funny. Man, but I even even before actually. that, like the the very first sequence is just like that's I think an even more baller opening than Mission Impossible Three, or at least just as like thrilling to me. Like just starting in media res, like Josh Holloway, he's oh, huge yeah. in Lost. Like you know, he just appears, uh, has the coolest gadget we see in the series, <laughs> just like the backwards gun firing and the, ah, the parachute, yeah. and then yeah, gone. And like, like just a strong opening. So I think like visually there's so much going on here in this movie, but I also think you can feel how this movie is Brad Bird's first live action movie. Like, I think the characters sometimes feel a little too choreographed or too storyboarded. Like there are sequences where people are just sitting around and talking and it feels, it doesn't feel natural in a way. Like when the team's getting together after the birch, you know, thing fails and they're arguing in a room and everyone's like posed in just a certain way. Um, you know, you think it's very theatrical. It sounds it's, it's, yeah, it's a little theatrical. It's not quite human. Um, but yeah, overall, like, man, this movie, this movie kicks so much ass. If only it had a better villain. Yeah. It needs a better villain. The the other thing that, uh, you guys left out of that intro that I think Mm -hmm. is the best part of it is the diegetic, uh, fuse oh yeah the the fuse that has always kicked off the mission impossible thing yeah uh having that be like literally tom turns to the camera and goes light Light the the fuse fuse, and then it happens and that leads into the credit sequence i wish that was a a trope of this franchise i wish like they had always found unique ways to light the fuse you know i think that would have been a cool running theme uh but having it happen in this movie was such a brilliant touch here's a here's a big question for you jeff canada is uh this movie has the uh i think it's the first one of the franchise that does the uh, mission impossible tradition of showing you scenes from the rest of the film during the opening credits hate it hate it, hate it. Yeah. Hate so it. You, do you do you and consider that trailers for the movie the first movie did that no i don't oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, um, during, yeah. yeah i didn't i think didn't battlestar galactica the series do that yeah i think there's tv shows that have done that <laughs> I, I hate that. I hate it. I hate it. You know, I, I would hate that. But and the original Mission Impossible series did that too. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, I mean, whatever. But it's, yeah, it's not something I enjoy. But yeah, uh, I love the execution of the first sequence and yeah. how the music is t- like, you know, I, I imagine it took some work to time the music so that it ends exactly when he gets to the bottom of the uh, of the stairs like that. 
Uh, and right then, you know, you're in the hands of a, of a, like a storyteller that knows what he's doing and knows how to bring the audience along for a really wild ride. Yeah. Uh, the, um, the break in of the Kremlin, I mean, you know, US Russia relations are way different now than they were back then, but, uh, still fascinating to see that gigantic gadget, uh, mm-hmm. that they use to like project so cool. the hall. Um, one thing There's, that this is interesting about this movie is like virtually all the technology in this movie fails or doesn't work quite as intended right. in some way, right? And well, it's also the, kind of the running idea, yeah, yeah. the idea yeah. that they're they're you know they've ghost protocoled them, yeah, um, exactly. But yeah. but I, I want to say something specifically about that that hallway gag, which I think is brilliant and wonderful. There is something of this genre of movies, and particularly the Mission Impossible movies. But James Bond is is guilty of this, and a lot of movies uh, of this type are guilty of it. And it's something that always bugs me when they just go, "We have a gadget for that," and uh, <laughs> yeah. they, you know, and it's um, you know, oh, there's this crazy thing. Yeah, we have a gadget for that. Uh, this movie does it a couple of times. Like there's that balloon that drops something into a some some place that it's, can just hack into the system. Yeah. you know, just, like there's no explanation. Yeah, just, sure. We have yeah. a thing for that, or. Yeah. Literally moments before that hallway sequence, he <laughs> plugs the the card reader into the card thing, and it goes. Uh-huh. It gives him the, the which is visually very cool, but is that idea that it always bugs me, which is just oh, oh here's this thing that's hard. No, we have the anti-hard for that. Yeah, you know this. But moments after that, when they do do the hallway gag, that is that's what I love is yeah. the tech that is this crazy clever idea that it's not just. Oh, we have something that undoes what makes that hard. Instead, it's look at this cool idea that shows how clever our team is. I mean, everything from using the like directional sound to create a dropping uh, <laughs> water droplet noise to to distract the guy. That is where the heistness mm-hmm. shines for me in these kinds of movies. Is where it's like, oh my god, what a clever idea! How smart are our heroes? What a cool plan they came up with. Not just. Oh, they have the uh, the undo for the thing that's hard, you know. And what's great about that whole thing too is that they never they don't explain anything, right? It's just like they deploy this thing, and you see, oh, a camera is reflecting what's in front, and you say, okay, okay, so this is so the guard doesn't think anybody's in the hallway, and they can kind of push forward. But yeah. then you see the iris tracking, yeah. and that deals with perspective. So and right. then towards the end, it's like so. Even if you don't get that at the end, when there are multiple people, then it's like the iris tracking is going crazy. Because it's only built for one person, so I kind of love all of that. You don't need to explain this stuff; just kind of do it, and you know, yeah, you show it, people using it, and explain it visually. Yeah, there's virtually like, no dialogue in that scene because they have yeah. to be completely quiet. Yeah, so it is uh, a really well executed sequence. Um, and, and another example, by the way, Jeff, is the uh, device that changes the numbers on hotel, uh, <laughs> yeah. hotel doors. Yeah. Just we just got one of those hanging around. Yeah, how yeah. often? How often is that device going to come in handy? <laughs> is my question. Yeah. Um, I mean, I like that. There's a, there's a brilliant sequence in this movie, just conceptually, where you're seeing the same scene play out in two different rooms, yeah. uh, and going back and forth between them, and that wonderful tension of trying to look at the pages and copy them and print them in the other uh, uh, briefcase. All of that is so beautifully told, and the tension is wonderful. And just from a conceptual standpoint, the idea of mirroring. A, a, a meeting in real time as it's mm-hmm. happening one floor below you. It's just, it's a, it's a cool concept. 
Yeah, so many then, cool concepts. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Uh, and and uh, you know, talking about like setups and payoffs, I like how he takes the goggles with him up into the bridge climbing. <laughs> yeah, and like yeah. Jer- Jeremy Renner points out the goggles, like, "Hey, goggles, take them off." And yeah. then later he uses them to track down uh, yeah. the guy during the dust storm. You know, like yeah. super yeah. cool. Oh, always good to have goggles. We haven't talked much about Paula Patton, by the way, but I thought she is fantastic in this movie so great yeah so like she she definitely is giving me a lot of jennifer garner vibes in this movie i think i mentioned this when we reviewed it um but it's like seeing her and seeing tandy newton these movies really makes me wish like they brought back more characters because i do and maggie q in mr possible 3 like there's so many great characters that we've encountered throughout this franchise and they keep trying to throw new ones at us and some of them work some of them don't it is nice to see people returning in fallout um, but I want to. I want more Paula Patton. I want her doing more action stuff like this. She's yeah. great. She's so good. Agreed completely. Uh, you know, I got to defend the villain character in this movie a little <laughs> bit, uh, and that is because it is the first villain character in these movies that really truly has, and uh, he's bonkers and like this. Yeah, <laughs> this character is insane. What I mean by that is not not just literally, which he is, but I mean also. Uh, hey, he's a professor of game theory who mm-hmm. used to be ex-Special Forces, and that's why he can fight Tom Cruise. <laughs> and by the way, um, he wants to launch nuclear warheads at you know major cities and, and destroy yeah. them all. But at least he has, an, you know, say what you will about the tenets of National Socialism, at least it's an ethos. Like, <laughs> at least this guy had an idea about, yeah. like, th- there's an idea, like he's an insane supervillain, but he, at least th- I understand why someone would feel that way. Do you know what I mean? Yet, I, I guess. I don't yet. agree with his philosophy at all, but at least he has a philosophy, you know? But he's and, an empty vessel is the thing. But yeah, and go, go yet, ahead. Dave, he's also stupid enough to when he's getting away, <laughs> he'll take off the mask and throw it on the ground for Ethan Hunt to find the mask yeah. and realize who – like. At what what point he's literally had this entire crazy chase wearing a mask and the moment he gets away he not only takes the mask off to reveal his identity but then throws it down for ethan hunt yeah. to find well ethan hunt pulled off a piece of the mask so i think he figured it out like towards the end of that chase like they had they yeah, had a yeah, tussle but, but, and he pulled but he could have been anyone he could have been anyone yeah still, you know i, I think it, been anyone. It, it, it is a really weird like it it is uh it's kind of shot and edited to feel like a big reveal but then yeah, again, you're like, yeah. oh, it's just the guy that worked for him. You know, like yeah. I do feel like that that may be one of the things that got switched up in editing or yeah. however this movie was kind of reframed. But I have to say the best thing about the villain for me is like the way they ex- like he explains what he's doing in like a, you know, a talk while other things are happening. So if you're paying attention to like Tom Cruise's dialogue, you know, it's just like mission setup or something. But then you're hearing this crazy philosophy is like, oh, yeah, we should just destroy the world because that makes complete sense. Yeah, um, it's very, Thanos, very Thanos-esque, you know, yeah, he's very committed Thanos-esque. enough that he's just going to take a header off the top of that car thing yeah yeah uh, which by so the way th- i have a kind of a problem with that car i don't uh, like that entire car thing i, yeah. I love it, it. Like, i think it's awesome it felt like they, somebody yeah. looked at that and went you know nobody's ever done an action sequence in that yeah you know and it just feels so contrived it's it's maybe it just felt like a little too much after we had so much good stuff in this movie but yeah it's a little contrived and then i'm not a fan of uh villains jumping to their death that's fine that shows how community is not a fan of ethan hunt's plan i'm just gonna get in this uh make sure you see it's a bmw and you know how safe (laughs) bmws are get in this bmw and just do a header off this thing which yeah i 
I don't know. There's so many, so many dumb things he's done, and that seems among the dumbest in the entire series. Well, it all worked out, so I think it was proven to not be dumb. I'm just going to put that out there. I mean, <laughs> I really like that sequence. I, I, I think, hey, we just had this Burge Hotel sequence. We got to top it somehow. Uh, we can't do something is, bigger, so we're going to do something more intricate. And is, I appreciate it. Topping it? I don't know. I don't no, think it's I topping it, but it's it's at least like coming close. It's like like at least we're going to put a ton of right. lo- love and care into how intricate and, and how you know complex this action scene is. It is very intricate. It feels like a platforming video game level or something like that. So that's kind of what's happening there. But also the Burge thing, like what makes that so cool is it's very evocative of that space. And that's a thing that actually, you know, exists there in Dubai. And they go to they go to Mumbai and barely, you know, they have a they have a party in Mumbai. But I feel like a nice action sequence using the insanity of that city could have been more interesting. Mm, interesting. And then literally you have the law enforcement guy that's been on his tail finding him (laughs) and being like, oh, Oh, it's all a misunderstanding. I guess I'm fine with you breaking <laughs> my nose. Yeah. 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 Uh, I will say this this other thing about Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, which is I think this movie was made in 2011, and I think it's the first film in the Mission Impossible series where we still in present day have not caught up with the te- technology in this movie yet. Sure. Yeah. Which yeah. Um, I don't think you could say for the other films. I mean, I think <laughs> – uh, I mean, even like we're seven years out, but I don't think like seven years after Mission Impossible 1 – I think we had caught up with the technology in Mission Impossible 1. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, the, the, gla- the big, thick, black glasses yeah. that have a camera in them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, uh, like, the when he when that, like, screen comes down from the side of the train car and he puts the thumb drive on it and it scans the thumb drive automatically, I, I still geek out about that. Um, that was, cool. a, like, yeah. I think oh, that was a Microsoft comp down. concept. Yeah. Yeah. The way it slides down from the wall is so rad. Yeah. <laughs> it is, it is it's, awesome. It's super cool. Yeah. For me, I still geek out over that BMW, that concept uh, i8, which I believe they sold, but just not with that insane uh, UI. The touchscreen on the that. in the, the windshield, screen, right? Yeah. Which is not good. You don't want a touchscreen on your windshield, granted, <laughs> but uh, it looks so cool. Yeah, it just it does. Looks so cool. It does. Uh, so, any other thoughts about Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol? I think we all think it's a really solid entry into the into the franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love it. It's my favorite one out of all of them. It's not. It does not have the best script. Which, in my yeah. opinion, uh, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation has uh, probably the best script, but it does uh, it, it does have the best filmmaking in my perspective. So I, I, I think the best set pieces, or, or yeah, exactly. I don't know. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You guys it's, hated. It's, it's, I actually like the set pieces in Rogue Nation more too. So the, it's just the way it's filmed. Like uh, to me, it also feels like oh, I want I want more Incredible style action, and you kind of get that immediately too. So really fascinating watching this movie after Incredibles two, yeah. where we got even crazier set pieces from Bad Bird. Yeah. Um, the 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 way you guys disliked the ending of three. I, how did you feel about the ending of four? Uh, you know, I mean, it's basically the same thing. Well, let's all sit around and, and, and yeah, be happy yeah. with each other. Well, at least but, they but got at least they're not at the IMF. You know, <laughs> and like, why would they let in yeah. Ethan Hunt's wife? And anyway, <laughs> it just. But sucks. also. Like, nice to see Ving Rhames. That's that's all. Cool to see yeah. Ving Rhames. Did you like seeing uh, you know the wife across the way moment? I that again shows how inhuman Tom Cruise is. Like, are you are you just stalking her? Like, you, you <laughs> yeah. just go there and watch her hang out with her work friends, and she has to smile and wave at you. Otherwise, like, she knows you, you know her life is in your hands at this point. Um, it, it is a very creepy thing. Like, Ethan uh, Tom Cruise cannot even leave change when he's eating out like a normal human being. <laughs> go, go look at that. He just kind of like flips it, kind of like flings yeah. it on the table. It's kind of amazing. Um, he can't do normal human things. It's yeah. just hilarious. 
There's there's a scene I can't remember which movie. I think because they're all, you know, I watched them all back to back. I think <laughs> it was three when he uh, is walking. No, maybe it is four. Uh, when he's walking, uh, yeah, no, it's definitely four because he's got the hoodie on. Um, he he gets he steals that he steals a hoodie yeah. and he steals shoes and then he steals a, a cell phone and he uses the cell phone and then when he's done using the cell phone he <laughs> casts it into a tiny hole in the sidewalk yep. but doesn't break stride and it's a clean throw and I wondered <laughs> a did they do that four hundred times <laughs> to get it right is it CG or is Tom Cruise just good at doing shit like that you know mm, speaking of stuff that Tom Cruise is good at doing I, I like the. Uh... You know, one of the best transformations is when he's walking out of the Kremlin and he like rips off the jacket oh, and the mustache. So uh, badass, and the yeah. jacket goes inside out. Yeah, it's, oh. that's like. I mean, when I think back to the Mission Impossible franchise, I think of like key moments. You guys were talking about jumping across the bridge and throwing the gun, yeah. and uh, in Mission Impossible Three, and like you know him doing that transformation in Mission Impossible Four, um, Burge Hotel stuff. Like these, these like super clever moments that just stick out of my memory. That's one of them. And Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol had a ton. So, uh, okay, let's get to the last film in the franchise, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. The IMF is uniquely trained and highly motivated. Specialist without equal, immune to any countermeasures. But it is an agency of chaos. The time has come to dissolve the IMF. I want you to choose your next words very carefully. Where is Hunt? Last I heard, he was tracking the syndicate. How come the CIA has never discovered any intel regarding the syndicate? You want the polite answer or the truth? So as the we last pointed, film before the next film. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, so as we pointed out, uh, this one is directed by Christopher McQuarrie. And, and written by Christopher McQuarrie. The first time it's been like written directed by, or well, no, Brad Bird didn't write his. So yeah, yeah, uh, it's kind of funny. Ethan and team take on their most impossible mission yet: eradicating the Syndicate, an international rogue organization as highly skilled as they are, committed to destroying the IMF. Uh, so yeah, what yeah. do you guys think of Mission Impossible: Rogue Nation? I love this movie. I love this movie completely. This is my favorite movie of the franchise uh, because I think like I love, you know, I really like Ghost Protocol. Uh, I love Mission Impossible 3. Um, but it's like we've seen so many of these movies. Where can we go from here? And the answer is you go to Christopher McQuarrie and you go to Rebecca Ferguson. And just like this movie is astounding on many levels. It's nice to have a uh, a spy buddy who can actually match, you know, Ethan Hunt toe to toe. Um, her character, I love Ilsa Faust. I love everything about like what they're doing with her and how they're teaming up and their love and hate relationship. It may just be me. Cause I remember as a kid, um, I watched Batman returns a lot and I watched that movie so much. I was like, what is this dynamic? This Batman and Catwoman dynamic. I'm really, I'm really into this. I don't know what's going on. So yeah, that, that was fun in this. The set pieces are just insane. Like the, you know, the birds climbing, everything is, uh, is great. And certainly insane on another another level too. But I think the way the diving sequence is shot, like I can't it's I can't so breathe properly. Yeah, when I'm watching that. And then like how that transitions from, you know, he he's dead, he gets up. It's very self-aware. I was like, um I, I think this movie is the most self-aware of the entire franchise of like 
uh, Tom Cruise's size and kind of how tired he gets and maybe he's getting a little old. Like it's all kind of like referenced in the movie. But that after the diving sequence, like he it transitions into a car chase and then transitions into a motorcycle chase and the best chase of the entire franchise. And I love chases and the motorcycle stuff just looks beautiful. Um, there's just uh, the entire opera sequence, which is, um, that is just one of my personal favorite action set pieces in general, just set to the music. Um, Rebecca Ferguson and her outfit and the kind of way that entire thing is constructed. I love so much of this movie because it really, I think it just pushes forward what the franchise can be. Um, using the the recording, the assignment recording against him at the beginning, you know, stroke a genius. And a really ice-cold villain. He's not like, he's not, I don't think he's charismatic in the way that uh, Sean Ambrose is or something. But he's 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 very, very evil. Like, he, he gets the evil thing down. Not a great villain, but I think much better than what we've seen in the franchise. So just like overall, I just, I love everything about this. I think I'm just a big fan of Christopher McQuarrie, especially what he did with Jack Reacher, too. Yeah, like, it's just he, good he, stuff. He elevated Jack Reacher from kind of a pulpy, serialized, mm-hmm. what could have been very pulpy and serialized, into, because of how stylish it was, something that was that transcended its genre, in my opinion. Uh, one thing that this movie does well, first of all, love the villain character. Um, and one thing this movie does well is uh, the sequence at the end when Benji has all the bomb, like the bomb stuff strapped to him, and uh-huh. you're thinking, yourself, yeah. like this. A, it's very rare for an IMF agent to feel like they're actually in genuine danger in these movies, but like he, it's actually very emotional. Like he's mm-hmm. fearing for his life, and, ta- and he has like, to say the words. He has to say the words, yeah, yeah. Like it's very intense. And you're thinking to yourself, like, how is he going to get out of this? And he eventually gets out of. I don't know that I completely buy it. He's like, "Hey, here's here's fifty million dollars." Uh, but there's here's like one number I memorized. Now you well, have to believe I memorized them all. Yeah. Well, but he's like, "Here's fifty million dollars." Um, but you, in order to get access to the four billion or however many billion, you know, you need to like, you need my brain. And uh-huh. uh, you know, if I was the bad guy, I'd just be like, "Okay, fifty million is enough. Goodbye." You know, like I think I, that's, that's enough money for me to do all the evil things. I need you to cannot do. run you're a not... criminal syndicate with yeah. that amount. Yeah, Dave. that's no. why you're not a criminal mastermind, yeah. Dave. It's true. Uh, you got, it's your true. sights are too low. It's, that's but exactly I, correct. That's exactly I also correct. think Simon Pegg is an unsung hero across all the movies he's in. Mm-hmm. He he's consistently so great, and you know, makes other people shine by being comic relief and being sort of reactionary to all the craziness. He's sort of the the everyman cipher that that we get. You know. Get to be in those situations with but also uh, being Q, yeah, yeah. It also gets to be right. It also gets to be a little bit of Q, um, yeah. The the other sequence that I love in this movie is the the box putting the bad guy in the box. Um, it's so clever and so cool and such a great like uh, you know master stroke uh, super team kind of uh, way of trapping someone. It's such a neat sequence. Uh, but I totally agree with you, Devinder, that the the motorcycle chase. It's it's awesome to go like, oh, we've already done a motorcycle chase in this franchise, but let's just completely one-up it and do something mm-hmm. even so much cooler and crazier. Um, th- this is a great movie, and I think it shows that six movies in, this franchise hit its stride. You know, it's pretty wild to say I that. You mean but- five, five movies in? Excuse me, five movies in, yeah. <laughs> five movies in. But it's, maybe it, we it, will say that in a few weeks, Jeff. I... I like you, Dave. I'm highly anticipating this one, and I feel like these movies are as sure a bet as you get in in uh, you know sequential right, franchises right. at this point. Like, it, 
I know that I'm I'm so confident I'm going to like it. You know, I I know what this this movie has found its identity and feels like it d- delivers what I want out of it. And um, that's crazy to say. You know, five six movies in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, the fastest turnaround between sequels we've ever seen. The first time, like the same person is you know writing and directing the yeah, next yeah. one. Like a lot of good signs, but I don't, I don't, want, I don't want to like get too hopeful. As great as that uh, trailer is, because I remember, uh, I remember Spectre, I remember Jason Bourne, I remember The Dark Knight Rises. So we'll sure. see. Sure, yeah, sure. all good, uh, all good examples of like same director, you know. Yeah. And really underwhelming follow-up. So yeah, yeah. It, it could it could go badly. But I think Jeff points out that yeah, this is a very reliable franchise. And one of the yeah. things that's reliable yeah. about it is uh, you know you're going to see some really good stunts. And that's just uh, you know I don't at all when I watch uh, Avengers: Infinity War, I don't mm-hmm. for a second believe any of those people were even remotely in danger when they were filming. This yeah, stuff, right. Yeah. And I'm not saying you need to like Tom Cruise needs to almost die for this, you know, but but this is a guy who, by his own choice, is putting himself in extremely dangerous, visually spectacular situations for the American public. And it shows on screen like you can tell that someone's actually doing this and this is not all green screen. (laughs) Um, And that is really compelling. And in a kind of all visual effects digital world, this is still, despite being a very highly technologically you know involved franchise this is still a very analog kind of franchise where you can mm-hmm. um you can see all the work that goes into doing these set pieces in a way that you can't with other major blockbusters it's great counter programming in today's uh crowded cinema landscape that's very v- vfx heavy so and, and in the same yeah. week where we we literally got news that disney has developed uh, robot stunt people <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like yeah. uh, we're getting farther and farther away from a human being, uh, and, and it's it's it seems a, a, almost a crass thing to say. I, I want a human being to risk their life for my entertainment, but it, it it is spectacular to know that to know that Tom Cruise was hanging outside that building or hanging onto that plane. Uh, it, it's it really does add to the tension and majesty of those scenes. We were talking mm-hmm. about I mean, how Mission Impossible Two has one of the best lines of the franchise, but mm-hmm. this also Mission Impossible Rogue Nation also has an, an amazing monologue. <laughs> yes, when Alec Baldwin at the end of the film, right? He, they're trying to figure out like, <laughs> yeah. how he's going to attack the, the prime minister, and he says, "Quote." Hunt is uniquely trained and highly motivated, a specialist without equal, immune to any countermeasures. There is no secret he cannot extract, no security he cannot breach, no person he cannot become. He has most likely anticipated this very conversation and is waiting to strike in whatever direction we move. Hunt is the living manifestation of destiny. And he has made you his mission, Prime Minister. <laughs> I mean, it's basically you can say the same thing about Tom Cruise. It, yeah, it works yeah. for both people. It it is it, uh, it is it, like that line. <laughs> the way he delivers it too is it is so ridiculous and over the top, uh, <laughs> but it is also amazing. You know. Yeah. So good, so good. I mean, it really shows his commitment. Like, you know, this this entire show has felt like a Tom Cruise left fest because this is his like signature franchise and everything. Um, personally, I think he is a you know, I love watching him as a movie star. As a as I pointed out, I don't know how he functions as a person because the time he has to do person things in these movies, it is not it is not quite human. It's like a Westworld robot going off its programming or something. Mm. Um, so there, you know, there is that. But I appreciate his commitment to this craft at least. 
Yeah, yeah sure. and uh, also you, we we talked about how awesome Rebecca Ferguson is, but the relationship that develops between them two is kind of interesting. They're kind of uh, nemeses, but also uh, friends and frenemies, frenemies, yeah. right? Uh, and I'm really curious what the continuity is going to be between this film and the next film. Like, how is the next film going to evolve their relationship, right? right? Um, so that that this movie sets that up, I think, really well. And I'll, I'll be curious to see how uh, the next film, wh- what direction yeah. the next film takes it. This um, movie is so well written. Her entire like "come away with me" speech like came. It, that is one of those surprises. Like I wasn't expecting that the first time I saw this movie. It's just so, it is so sharp and so evocative and shows like it also hints at like something we can see that Ethan Hunt kind of wants, right? He he wants to escape this hellish life. He couldn't even have a normal, you know, right. relationship. You know, it's like that prospect of just running away and being free is kind of romantic to him. Whereas I think a normal person would think being a super agent is pretty romantic. So I love her speech. I kind of love, yeah, everything they built up. Hopefully they don't just drop her and forget about her. Cause that's what they've done with this entire franchise. With right, all the romantic yeah, right. I have a feeling, you know, I, I have not, Watch the trailer, but I have okay. heard the trailer with my she, eyes she closed. She's in the movie, and she's, she's in, in the, the movie. movie. So I'm yes. curious to see how that's going to work out. Um, uh, we were talking about tech for the last movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Really love the tech from this movie. The the e ink laptop that's like looks like an opera program. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, saw one of those by the way at Computex this year. So yeah, e ink is not dead. It, it, it is still a thing. <laughs> you know, the refresh rate on that thing was super high. You know? So bad. It's so yeah. bad. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I, I, the, the tech, you know, the suit that tells you how much oxygen you have in your, you know, anyway. yeah. the gun uh, that's a flute, I think. <laughs> I, I, so I, I think one of the, as we're looking, you know, as we're wrapping up here, the plots of these movies have never got less ridiculous, right? Uh, and you know that is that is a bit of a challenge. Um, the whole plan was we're going to send three assassins after this guy, and then by the way, we have a suitcase bomb as. Uh, insurance in case right, none of right. those work out. It just feels like wow, the syndicate is extremely well uh, funded and has like planned it better than plan the, the IMF. Plan. They're better. They make better decisions than the IMF, probably. Right? Yeah, I guess most certainly. <laughs> um, I, you know, another. Uh, but yeah, it, it, they've always been absolutely ridiculous. These films and like mm-hmm. the the plots never get more plausible. And I guess the the movies aren't really concerned with that. It's just concerned with being as over the top as possible. And I, you know, I think I've basically accepted that so yeah yeah um any any other thoughts on rogue nation uh, a quick mention of some of the blu-ray stuff uh it is nice that this one uh rogue nation has dolby atmos support so if you mm-hmm. have that surround sound uh, it's very nice to see i'm kind of disappointed that uh ghost protocol which has a really nice atmos mix i actually went to dolby's offices here in new york and like the the entire like uh sand car chase sequence like the sandstorm sequence that was a major atmos demo for them yeah. so that's that's one it's it's a shame that we didn't get that on like the best version of the movie we have so far yeah yeah um, another random thing I just want to point out is like I, I found this film uh, to be kind of Rebecca Ferguson's character was almost a response to Bryce Dallas Howard's character in Jurassic World. I think these movies came out the same summer, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> right? And how there's that one scene where uh, she's running and she like hands yeah. Tom Cruise her shoes and she's like, and shoes, shoes please, yeah, she has him get, take them off. Yeah, yeah. she's like shoes please, and he just like he's like doesn't understand and he, he's like she's like shoes please, and she says it again yeah. more insistently. And he comments um, on her shoes in their first scene too, like it's it's kind of funny. Yeah, uh, but it just is a subtle sign of like how competent that character is and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and kind of, I love the sequence how they they rappel down the side of the building as well is really uh, well done. 
Um, they, I mean, this entire series, I think, has done a good job focusing on shoes in general. Like, I love one of my favorite moments in uh, Ghost Protocol is when like Paula Patton finally has a chance to like take down the me- the you know the woman who murdered her man, and like she just kicks <laughs> off those heels and goes running. Right. And it's like that's that's exactly what you want from the series. Yeah. Yeah. I do have one extremely minor disappointment with this movie, which is mm-hmm. that the uh, – and it's not even really a disappointment. It's just kind of, uh, a, I guess, a difference is that the most spectacular stunt of him hanging off the side of the plane, it, it is tangentially related to the rest of the plot. Yeah. Right. But it doesn't yeah. – it's, it's not like – I was thinking like the movie would build up to that and it kind of just <laughs> uses that scene in the first five minutes and in, in kind of yeah. an almost unrelated throwaway gag. Yeah. Uh, so – now, that's uh, something the other movies haven't done as much, and I'll be curious to yeah. see uh, how the new movie handles Tom Tom Cruise's stunts as well. It's weird how it's not related to much of anything. I also don't like the way it ends. It feels like it ends and cuts to the you know the uh, the fuse at a at a point where uh, I kind of want to see is he is he <laughs> just flying next? out there with this thing? Yeah, yeah what goes on? Like, yeah. is it, where's his parachute? Is he just holding onto this thing for dear life? <laughs> like, I feel like yeah. there there was another moment I would have loved to see. Yeah, Jeff Kanata, you want to bring it home for us? Well, uh, this is a series that I, I really enjoy. I'm very excited for Fallout. Uh, I would rate these movies as follows. Yes, let's rank them. Rank. Yep. Yes. Three, four, five, one, two. Mm. So, so that would be uh, Mission Impossible 3, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, Mission Impossible uh, Rogue Nation, and then the first mission, or yes, and then the first Mission Impossible, and then far behind is Mission Impossible Two, <laughs> which is still fun if, in a in a very campy way, yeah. but uh, I don't think I don't think holds with the rest of the series for me. Devendra, I think mine is pretty much backwards at this point. It is five, <laughs> four, three, one, two. Like, and I, you know, two is definitely the worst of the series on many levels, but I still I was shocked how much fun I had with it. Honestly, still. I am kind of in in the middle of you guys. I am four five one three two. So, uh, wow. Call Rogue Nation number one, and then MI three, and then Mission Impossible two. Yeah, I can't believe you you have three that low. That's crazy <laughs> to me. Yeah, I mean, uh, the thing is, I I really feel like one has stood the test of time. Like, yeah, I really yeah. feel like the, there's more substance to one in terms of those characters than there is in three. Three is exceptionally well-made action film one of my favorite mm-hmm. of all time um but it just like w- when i look at one and i look at three i'm like which one is is like uh which one of like in 30 40 years from now i think it's going to be be a more substantial contribution to cinema i think it's going to be one <laughs> you know that's, that's I, I don't know like the jj abrams school of filmmaking has uh been everywhere yeah, he's taken over star trek he's taken over star wars like it's uh fair enough I, fair i'm enough. very very proud of my guy yeah he's so good all right guys let's wrap it up uh you can find more episodes of the show at slashfilmcast.com email us let us know what you thought of slash uh, of uh not the slash filmcast but that too of mission impossible mm-hmm. at slashfilmcast@gmail.com. stay tuned to hear ob reviewing next week in the meantime jeff canada where can we find more of your work on the internet this week well, you can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I do a video game show every week called DLC. You can find that at 5x5.tv slash DLC. How about you, Devendra Hardwar? Oh, I'm on Twitter at, at Devendra and write about tech at Engadget.com. Find all my stuff at DaveChen.net. I also just did a review of Stubbs A-List, which you can find oh, at yeah. slashfilm.com and uh, on my YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash Dave Chensky. 
Um, we can talk more about that during next week's episode yeah. of the podcast. I just signed up for that. I'm very excited yeah, yeah. to use it. Yeah, yeah. So we can talk more about it next week. Uh, and speaking of next week, uh, Christy Putchko is going to return to join us for our review of Ant-Man and the Wasp. So look forward to that. Thanks for listening. Uh, and uh, really appreciate uh, Guys, I had a lot of fun diving into these movies, guys. So yeah. 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 So fun. Um, thanks for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed it as well in the audience. We'll see you next week. We watch the movies, flicks, tracks for the good, bad, it's the slash broadcast. For all the news and the movies coming out, cause you know that.